0: All right, hello, what's going on? Rich Ryan here. This
1: is Race Brain Podcast today. Super-duper special episode, mostly because Jack Bauer and I, were in Dubai, so we're not on this episode, like,
0: at all. This is it. This is all you're going to hear from me. I they left it in the hands of the other crew.
2: They didn't record an intro, so I'm back just to let you guys know that we're not going to be here. So we have special guests, Meg Jacoby, David Megita. You may have heard of them, and we're talk, they are talking about Pyrox stuff. A little bit of a lull here, so we're going to talk about what the, the guest hosts know quite a bit about, and that's Pyrox. So uh, I didn't listen a lot. I didn't listen to a lot of it, so I'm guessing it's good. I'm hoping it's
0: good. I'm thinking you're going to like it, so let's get on into it. And we're live. Now we're that. live. Rich is gone. I'm the captain now. You guys are going to respect that. We got rid of Rich Ryan and Jack Bauer this week. We've replaced them with what I would consider mostly upgrades. We have one of the top hybrid racers on the planet, as well as David Magida. So, guys, thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> Why did much. you
2: put my name as Magina on this thing? Is that same we, oh Magina. My it does say Magina? It's <laughs> Magina. I'm sorry. That that that's
0: an It recognizes It recognizes I'm Vita sure it was
2: Bracken. I'm sure it I, no, was.
0: No, like I said, I'm not captain. I, I can take care of this. Watch this. I know okay. how to do this.
2: Wow. Look at that. Uh, this is a better name. Uh, David, right, Jack's see. full-time replacement. Did I get it? <laughs>
0: oh, shoot. My Damn, goodness. We still, Give me a second. So Close.
2: So close. I can get this. And here you are back in your full high rocks live stream mode rubbed off on me. What can I say? There we oh, that looks very really nice. So, so we here. were just talking about um, slumming it, dressing up, dressing down, and I was making the point that when like like dress clothes and all this like fancy dress up stuff was designed for like more portly people, and that people who are like very fit, very athletic, like we look better the less we wear, like the more we put on, the less good we look,
3: because we look more normal. Well, like, it
1: normalizes um, us when we cover our bodies, right? Is that yeah, what you're saying? It's like, Even
3: more nope, so like, it's like those muscles clothes, are hidden and you know what I mean?
2: But like a lot of those brands like Brooks Brothers, like those clothes are are cut for like a more portly body type. And so like when we put that on, not only do we look like we're hiding our muscles, like in a lot of those like brands, you actually look a little like kind of frumpy. Well, this
0: is thank you all for joining us for ego trips with David. We'll be hosting this weekly where he talks about how muscular he
2: is.
1: What do you look best wearing David? Then give it to us
2: uh I'm like a, honestly like what I'm wearing right now, like like hoodies yeah? and sweats and t-shirts and stuff. I don't really do much jeans. It's about right. it this,
0: around the table? this
1: conversation started because Meg said uh, Bracken and said, Meg, I've never seen you outside of like." racer training apparel and then meg mm-hmm. said i think i look better when i'm in training apparel than regular life and that's where this started and i've heard many times before like you can't tell what you're working with if it's hiding under a suit coat it's like tough right true. whereas that's a true. v-neck a size too small is going to show it all off oh right? yeah so meg meg actually started this conversation to yeah be honest. david really ran with it though I'm gonna so say. david well, your best is workout material or sweats kirk What? what about you what's your best look uh, I don't like like literally athletic pants and a t-shirt that's slightly too small. Yep. That's exactly it. Yeah, like, Meg, exactly. Meg? Meg, what's your?
3: Yeah, just like leggings, like a crop top sports bra situation
1: yep. for sure. Can I answer for you, Bracken? Bracken yeah. is a pair of mid thigh shorts, Yes. And a, I was gonna say and that- a cut off sweatshirt hoodie.
2: <laughs> no yeah Lisa? yeah so like the sleeveless sweatshirt hoodie Yeah. And not
0: stand when i cut the sleeves off sweatshirts and i i don't get it i i, I don't know why
2: no it'd a be sweats mine, in a, sweats in a cut-off sh- shirt would be more probably buddy, my best you look. do love the cut-off shirt like i remember that gray spartan shirt you had with like the, the peak on it and you took immediately took the sleeves off it and wore it in every picture for like two years i no, remember I, this so distinct i just wore it for all the stadium races oh okay um, yeah, I had a buddy who bought me one of those as like a birthday gift. He bought me like one of those, like already pre-made sleeveless hoodies. And I'm yeah. still trying to figure out like when, when is appropriate to wear this?
1: Never. Whenever
2: you want to get made. Nope. of. Yeah. If you're going to wear uh, an
0: upside down visor, yeah. it's either cut off yourself <laughs> or you wear the whole thing. I don't think you're allowed to buy it pre-cut. That's, it's that's very hipster. Thing.
1: Maybe I'll Meg, to high rocks. So. Meg, I want to, I want to jump to you really quick because, yeah. um, you're the first woman to ever be on this podcast. Oh, ever. Oh, my God. This, this, is, is,
3: this yeah. is an honor.
1: Bravo. How do you feel? How does it feel? Do you feel any? I, feel I any love, love way? being a
3: trailblazer. So that's like, check check it off the list, you know? Goals. And,
2: and having traveled positive. with Meg in Europe, I can tell you she can handle the inappropriate humor, too. That's good. Oh, yeah. This well, there, I
3: think I add a lot to that.
2: There was a she pretty... Specific process
0: of how we went around went about choosing our fourth member. Okay. I texted Dave and said, "What female would talk shit?" And Dave said, Ooh. "Make Jacoby." And that was <laughs> it. Not and exactly what he asked really me, but <laughs> we needed someone who wouldn't just uh yeah be buttoned up.
3: Yeah, I'm straight up. Yeah. You know, I'll lay it out there. We're in some group chats together, Magida and I, so he knows.
0: Well, we're going to start laying it out right away. All uh, right. We're, we're going to dive right into the deep end of of controversial topics because we have two people here right in front of us who can personally answer the question that we've yeah. been debating endlessly for 2 years, the difference between euro and U S races. So you guys both went over for the European championships, and then you both just did the North American championships. And there's been a lot of chatter on what did it even mean? And unfortunately, fortunately for him, but unfortunately for all the rest of us, Ryan Kent screwed up the equation. He muddied the water by not having a great North American championship and then coming out and running the second fastest time ever. As soon as he got back, to the next race on US soil. And then Ronkovich just one up some and runs the actual now second fastest time yeah. on European soil. So that right there muddied it. But if we take that one piece out, I really, really want to know what is the real truth here. Because on the live stream for Houston, I don't know if you guys watched the live stream, a European chimed in. That's worth about a 58 on a European course. Can we please just put this argument to bed?
2: They put that on Kent's. Wait, 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 wait. They said that like the opposite. Like, like our courses are faster than their courses. Yes. Like a 56 is worth a fifty. Can we just wow, put that's... the argument to bed? This is can worth we, a fifty-eight.
3: Can so we just... let's
2: just name the person? Name, name who this idiot is. I'd
0: love I I don't know remember this... which name, but it was like a top 20 in the world guy.
3: Megita's getting right in there. So cool. let's jump yeah. in.
2: Floor is yours. Yeah, all I want to say is, first of all, uh, supposed top twenty in the world, guy, you're an idiot. Um, and let's look at the races. There are two fifty sixes run this weekend, so uh, two sub fifty sevens. Let's say one by Kent, who ran a brilliant race. Where I pushed sleds that day, I pushed an open wave sled, and it was heavier than any European sled I've ever pushed, and it was an open weight sled. How many heavier t- than um, any pro
1: push. weight? European, and
2: ever than any pro European weight that I've ever pushed. It and was how many have you done? in Europe, yeah. Uh, I've done uh Leipzig and then I did uh Maastricht. And so it wasn't a of one of those, off. no. So in my two European races, my sled pushes were 231 and 214. Um, my sled push three weeks after pushing 214 in Europe was 318, just for frame of reference here. Um and also on the same day that Ryan Kent pushed 314 in Houston on his way to a sub 57 time, Alex Roncevic, my boy, pushed a 145. So his yeah. 56 is not <laughs> the same 56. I'm just so, saying when you're 90 seconds faster on one station, like it's just not it's not the same race. Like your ability yeah. to run is just so different after that.
0: 145 is what Rich and I split in doubles with women's pro weight.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's why I said (laughs) the the weights in Europe are actually lighter than our open weights here.
3: The women's pro race, too. Like I had sent Megita, there was there was a post about it on one of the Hyrux pages, and I forwarded it and I was like, is this real life? Like there was zero struggle. The sled is moving like butter. Like it was, it's just not. That's not what we looked like in Chicago. I can say that for a fact. So they could
2: just like run with it. Like, yeah, Yeah, literally they they were running
3: with it. There was no need to, nobody was like stopping. They didn't have to stop at all. Like they could do each length unbroken with ease. Like that thing was just gliding. Like it was not like it, like how it does on turf. You know, the turf versus the carpet thing.
2: Easy. You're you're basically pushing a torque tank in Europe. And here we're pushing loaded sleds
1: isn't it i don't know fair to say maybe this comment was tongue in cheek because it's so obvious the difference between european courses and us courses that maybe this comment was tongue in cheek by this idiot i mean or is they looking it looking at like the i guess that's what final, i'm wondering
2: or were they looking at the final finishing time and not looking at how long it took guys to push the sleds because i was sitting in the warm up area which is like adjacent to the sleds in houston and i was watching people push sleds and it was carnage like Rylan Shachadeg like was blowing up trying to push this sled. I mean, they're taking three breaks like on a single yeah. straightaway. This, that is one interesting point.
0: And I don't want to shelve this what we're currently talking about until later. But watching Rylan, it was apparent to me. And I feel if uh, some other people did say it on the live stream that it is the only station, the sleds, where it's a punishment to get there first because you are put down at the farthest edge of the carpet and it is Mm -hmm. most likely to bunch and shift on you. Do you a have a say in stopping in lane two or three, if you want, and B, is it actually worth not getting to the sled push and pull first, at least the push in order to avoid that nonsense that he, you could see his carpet and sled shifting where the others did not
3: I've been on that far edge three out of the four races that I've done. And it is always the worst lane. Mm Mm-hmm. You, you could see it moving, bunching up. It is always the worst lane. I We don't – I mean, they direct you to it, but other people have stopped. I just, like, I always listen, but apparently I, I think I'm doing it wrong. I think I just pick my own lane from now on. Yeah, like, what, so they, they do
2: yeah. say, like, run all the way down. Like, they yeah. want to go the end lane. But, like, if you were to break off early and pick, like, the second or third lane, they're not going to make you move. They're just – they're trying to basically just get the race to fill in right. appropriately so it's not mayhem when everyone arrives.
1: What would you guys say to stay on track with this uh this debate? Cause you two are very fresh. You bought, you race in two countries and then what four three weeks apart, four weeks apart, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Just bullet point. Obviously, the sled debate, we've banged against the wall how many times, right? Like we understand that there's a big difference. We've seen it in the splits. What would you describe as like bullet point differences? other than the sled between the European races you've run and the American races you've run. Are there any other ones or is one it just weird, right to that?
2: one weird difference is um, they tend to have different floor surfaces there. Some of their convention centers are just, I don't know if they're just cause they're like old, they're made with like kind of like this weird, almost like tile material on the floor. And so sometimes there's like a little bit of weird, undulation or like slickness to it. So you have to choose like the right footwear for it to be good. I've had that in Leipzig and Maastricht. Um, and every venue that we come across in the States, probably because we're racing in like really new convention centers. um, Those are all like concrete floors of varying levels of slickness. But like, if you were running like a Deca in West Palm, it's really, really slick, especially if there's any dust in there, it's like really, really slick, but like the the venue in Houston and the venue in Chicago, those are like very good sound surfaces to run on.
1: Surface, that's the first thing, uh, only thing, like you wouldn't say generally course design, like it's a give and take on both sides of the pond. Some course designs are great, some are faster. It seems like European courses historically are designed a little more slick, right? We get some slow courses over here, sled aside. So like anything like that, that jumps out. I know Meg, you've reached overseas once, right? So you have the one sample size. Yeah, both both of us combined,
2: like our experience overseas has always been on the grid, not on a regular right. course. Yeah. And the
3: so grid those courses are going to be sl-
2: they're slower. They're going to be like ninety seconds to two minutes slower as it is because you're running extra rock, rock zone,
3: yeah. yeah. And also,
2: just like all the turning around, like today, di- like the race in Houston was burpee, broad jumps was out back, lunges were out back. Meanwhile, the the race, you know, like if you're you're doing five turnarounds or whatever for each of these things if you're racing in the in the grid.
0: All right. So Meg, Farmer's question curious. for that. The grid, it certainly has more transition time. Yeah. But does it potentially, is that a built-in rev limiter where you have less opportunity to go unbroken if you shouldn't be going unbroken on um, certain things like a burpee, brow, jumper, a walking, lunge, just that two-second turnaround yeah. shakeout, will that keep people from blowing up or is it just a hassle for people like you and Miriam and, um, and Lauren, who are just going to go unbroken no matter what?
3: I think it's a hassle. And it's like, same with farmers, like the amount of times you're turning, like clearly we can all do the farmers unbroken pretty much and do them quickly. So just turning that many times is just, it's, it's making it harder for people for sure. Um, and then like, same with the burpees and the lunges. I feel like Having, I am apologize about that. Having the turnarounds, I think automatically in your brain, like makes you ready to take a break. Like you cross mm-hmm. that line, you have to stop, turn around. Like, I think the way you're without even realizing it, you're like, all right, this is like a little bit of a break. And then you might not go right into the next rep as fast as you would if it was like that long straightaway, or you just do it continuous. Okay. Um, if that makes sense. So I do think you lose just little bits of time because yeah. of that.
2: Yeah I, yeah, I really, I agree. I mean, like you're that turning around, like especially like a farmer's carry. You look at like the splits, like I think Dylan and I had the fastest splits in the farmer's carry in uh, Chicago, and we were looking at like two minutes, two flat. Meanwhile, like you know, in a normal race, you're going to be under one thirty. Like you're losing thirty seconds just on a station like that, which is a bizarre place to lose thirty seconds on compared to like a normal race you had it's very similar with the burpee broad jumps. Some courses, you know, like in New York when we ran it, the burpee broad jumps was out back out back. So you are kind of getting that same experience of, you know, like having to turn around and start an extra burpee behind the line each time. Like that that is an extra two reps. So, you know, if it's a extra burpee plus the the step around the thing, um You know, you probably are losing eight seconds, you know, maybe 10 seconds over the course of of that station just from the turnarounds alone. And then I I agree with Meg. Anything that's breaking my rhythm of moving forward is is really it's, it's it's it is telling your brain, like, take your foot off the gas. And the whole thing with high rocks is like just maintain forward momentum the whole time.
3: The other yeah. thing too, is that I think it's easier for our judges to screw up counting. And it's obviously real, as we know, it's really hard for us to be like counting 10 down and backs with farmers, for example. Like there was one point where my judge in um, Europe, um, he said I was at eight, but I was finished. And I was like, no, I'm mm. done. And I knew I was done because I was also working next to the the person next to me. We both started and pretty much finished at the same time. So like they can screw up. And I know that happened to Bridget Brown where she ended up doing an extra down and back of the farmers and that a lot of time, like, so being the grid, it makes it harder for us and the judges just with the counting, um, adds that mental stress too. like Mm -hmm. with the lunges. Like I I thought, I think I did like, you know, two and I had two more and I, or, you know, I had two left and I was like, like, I thought it was done and I was like, (laughs) you know what I mean? So yeah,
0: it's, I suppose. something
2: to that. I
3: was
0: anytime you take thinking out of it, it makes for a better race. Yeah. But anytime you add thinking and counting into it, it makes for a more viewer friendly arena. Yeah. And so the 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 tug and pull there, the give and take, must be that the the rep counters have to be impeccable.
3: Right. And we haven't yeah. yet
0: shown an OCR or hybrid that that we can handle that. Right. And
2: like I had this in in um chicago at the north american championships like i'm in the lead i just got into the lead in the farmers carries and i'm talking to my judge and i'm like how many laps do i have left like how much more and i have to like every time i get there i'm like tell me my count like i'm not sure like am i at six am i at eight like i was really unsure i was like i'll carry these all damn day but i need to know how long
1: all yeah. oh, i know is even if you're running and you take a 180 degree hairpin turn slowing down and speeding up even though it is slower like 20 meters after you've turned around and continued running, like I'm more gassed because of just the switch. And even though it looks like a perceived rest, I don't think it is. Yeah. And it's I mean, time. I think momentum, you need, you know, an object in motion stays in motion. Breaking mm-hmm. that no matter how you argue it is only going to slow the times down. What Can you guys explain something real quick? Uh, yeah. I don't think everybody knows what the grid is. So I think people so, are like, what's the grid? What are they talking about? Do you want to explain that? Just real so, quick so everybody knows what you're talking about. When we're racing in the championship
2: format for High Rocks, um, instead of running the traditional course and the traditional Rock Zone, what they'll do is they'll designate a specific station. Typically, it's the sled pull station. Um, they'll designate that station as a series of lanes that we will use in the race for all of our stations. So outside of the machine work, or even including some of the machine work, but they'll you'll run into a ski erg station, you'll finish that, do your next run, and when you come in for your sled push... They'll have a. Uh, they'll have all the sleds set up. You'll go into the lanes in order that you arrived. You'll complete your sled push. You'll leave. You'll come back, and then the sled has been converted to a pull. And there, you'll do your sled pull. And then when you come back, the sled will be gone. It'll be barbie broad jumps. When you come back, it'll be rower. Everything's always there, and so it allows. Hmm. Yeah, you're staging it for for a uh, uh, viewers that are there, but I think also a better television or live broadcast viewing experience as well. And so it looks much closer to what like a CrossFit competition would look like in terms of working through lanes. And there's like designated taped off turnaround points and things like that to to simplify it. And I think it provides a really clean viewer experience, but it also does put Us into a more frantic headspace of like you arrive at a station, you're pushing a sled. There's three people pushing it to your left. There's someone pushing it to your right. Somebody comes past you on one side. Everyone starts accelerating because they see people making moves. Like it does, it does affect the race flow significantly. Not necessarily in a bad way, but in a way where where it can impact your race strategy.
3: Yeah,
1: everything happens. Allow
2: for
3: the separation. It doesn't allow. So like half that midpoint to the end of the race where people are separated and they're on different stations in the normal races, like you're all there (laughs) at the same time, like for the vast majority of it. So it does, it's a little bit different on, on your brain for sure. The way you think people are closer than they actually are time-wise because they are next to you, but like they could be just starting and you're finishing, but.
2: I mean I mean I find it to be like a lot more exciting. Um Me too. but it's much more exciting, like it's much more engaging. But you do have these things, like you know, it's not just like the turnaround at the farmers carries, it is that reacceleration. So if you think about it, instead of accelerating twice with your kettlebells, you're accelerating ten separate times with your kettlebells. So like it is adding an uh, an, an additional element of fatigue mm-hmm. to some of these stations. Um and then and the deceleration course, costs you. With the kettlebells
0: as well, that stresses your quads more than keeping the weight moving.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, then of course you have to do like your little like helicopter turn with it Mm. and everything as well. And so you're just, your, your grip is more taxed because you're holding a longer time. It means your traps are more taxed. Um, It means that your chest is being compressed and you're not getting as much oxygen, you know, so it should be in theory, a station you're recovering at, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is.
0: Yeah. Well, it certainly changes the dynamic of what Hyrox is. So if you take this year's European championships, North American championships, the world championships from 2022 and Euro and North American from 2022 and those five championships, do you know how many times the fastest time in the world, whoever ran that also won the championship? Out of those five, so you have 10 possible winners. How many times was that winner the current
2: fastest known time? I'm going to assume once that it was just Hunter in Vegas. Uh,
0: Yeah. And then just recently, uh, Michaela. Oh, Michaela. Sorry. So, so, Still, though, two out of 10. Yeah. So my question is, competing on the grid with these European versus North American courses, what does a fast time really mean in high rocks these days? Because early on, it meant something. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you had uh, M.K., was just the best and the fastest. Uh, Lucas was the best and the fastest. Hunter was the best and the fastest. Anyone who was the world record holder was going to win everything they showed up to. And now you have a 20% chance out of our last sample size of 10 of winning a championship race if you are the current world record holder. So what does popping a fast time mean in the sport right now? Meg, why don't you kick off?
3: Oh. I'm going to defer to Megita, actually. Dave,
1: why don't you kick off for us, please? I'll kick now. off. This was your first uh, chance to talk smack, Meg. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> so I think, like, when you look at the way the races were, there used to be a wider spread in the caliber of athletes, and what we're seeing is that the people who are kind of, like, in that second tier have really upped their game. You're seeing, a, a like, a condensing of the field near the front. It's much more even, and, and so – It goes from a race of just who can time trial the fastest into a race. That's much more like a track meet where, you know, when you, when people are racing the mile, it, they never like in the Olympics, they never really run the fastest mile. They really just, everybody's just kind of tactic, you know, tactically racing off each other. And then someone's kind of kicking home. It's not necessarily like you're just kicking home, but especially if they ran the mile in the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. We'll settle
0: so, for 1,500, though. Continue. Sure. Thanks, Bracken.
2: Okay. Uh, the point being that the way the, way the race uh, plays out is going to impact finishing times, and people are going to be much more concerned with running a winning race rather than just going out there for a qualifier and time-trialing their ass off.
3: Yeah. And it's also just like the way the that- the way the times have been where people are so tight it's like I just feel like it's anyone's game you know like every race is different as we've learned like none of the courses are really exactly the same so we're all kind of very similar across the board and at these big races these championship races it's just like whose day it is in my opinion Mm. you know I don't think Michaela is any better than I am or Lauren is any better than Mika like I don't know that that's necessarily the th- the thing I think we've all a lot of us have proven like we're all really strong competitors I think it's just like who has the day and and also who just plays it right as McGee knows because he played it super right in Ch- in Chicago after um, playing
2: it super wrong in Moscow so. <laughs>
3: Well, I played it wrong too for different reasons, but... Um, and so like, I mean, yeah. if you
2: look at like the women's field, like at the top of the women's field, like there is like a legitimate, like clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the field, top three to four. Like I like to put Alondra into that field as well because she is in striking distance late and races. She's the link. And she, she links, links the rest Miriam. and the best.
3: in Miriam yes. too.
2: And yeah. Miriam. And, um, and so like in some ways the way the races are playing out is like, you know, in, in Europe, Lauren just kind of punched everyone in the face and got away. And then it was, it was like a little bit too much of a gap for Meg to close. If she had not run that extra lap, (laughs) I mean, like maybe, I don't know, but, but she did have that big solid lead at one point. And, um, and if you look at the way it played out for the women in Chicago, it was kind of a different race where Meg was like, I'm not going to let her get out there and, and punch me in the face right out of the gates. So you worked hard Mm -hmm. to stay with her and Michaela just kind of waited until you guys weakened each other a little bit and then came by. So like tactically there was, there was a little gamesmanship going on amongst the three of you. And then Mm -hmm. um, Alondra nearly came in and, and scooped up Lauren's third place. And so It it is interesting. Like it it, it has turned into a much more tactical event than it used to be where it used to just be like, who's the toughest, who's the fastest.
1: So to summarize, time doesn't really matter. If we're just going to summarize all of that, it means very little in the grand scheme of things. I'd say it's like, I'm the only one here who hasn't done a high rocks. Um, Although I obviously pay attention. I feel like I'm in the know for not actually stepping foot out there. Um, I look at results now, at least this year I have, and I'm like, Huh. And I just move on because, unless everybody's in this under the same roof, it's kind of like what means what I really feel that way. And, and maybe that's just that's okay, but it doesn't hold weight with me anymore until everybody's in the same arena, right? So, we we talk
2: about like horses, not courses, right? This whole idea, yep. and 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 I think that that really is significant, like, um, you know. It's kind of like in my head, I don't look at like how fast certain people are. I'm like, okay, I've beaten this person. I haven't beaten this person. I've nearly beaten this person. I beat this person by a lot. Like I, I kind of look at it more like that on like head-to-head matchups. But at the same time, you know, I also look at courses and I cross-reference like, okay, like some like like Kent ran a really amazing time in Houston. And I'm like, wow, that was incredible. But I also went and looked at like who are the other people who ran like Elite 15 in Chicago, and then also ran in Houston. And how do those times compare? And there's like two plus minutes faster in Houston. And I go, okay, this helps me put the Houston time in a little bit of perspective as compared to my own time. And so I, after running the doubles race in Houston with my wife in the morning at 930, before the men had even raced, I turned to my wife and I said, I bet this course is about two ish, maybe a little more minutes faster than I ran in Chicago. Um, so I said, I bet you, if I ran this today, fresh, I'd run about 57 flat is what I told her. And then Kent comes in at fifty-seven fifty-two or fifty-six fifty-two, And I said, yep. Validated. Like I feel validated on that.
0: So you think you would have finished with Kent? Yes. So
2: you've made that jump to his level now. Yes. Well, I beat him. I mean, yeah, I didn't beat him at his best, but. But I know that a 59-11 on a grid course is a 57 low to 57 flat to under 57 on a regular course. Oh, I like agree with you because
3: right Camilla, I know and, Camilla and Chris ran significantly faster in Houston than they had in Chicago as well. Like significantly faster. So I, I I tend to agree with what you're saying, Dave.
0: Okay, so so fix this for us. If we have to fix this because we do – seeing as it is a time-based sport, but
1: it's not yet a track. Not for David and Meg. They got those auto qualifiers. They, they got the auto qualifiers. They want the rest of the year. Hey. It doesn't matter. So we hey. We do.
0: We, let's say we have to fix this thing. We have two people here who should have a pretty good idea on what to do. Do we start from the judging and how we qualify into races? Do we start from looking at the time end? and decide how do we make it fair so that courses don't matter? Or do we start from the, how do we make it precise? How do we make it exactly perfect and fair every time? Which end do you start from when you want to even
2: this, this plain field out? Now, this is something that I have given a great deal of thought to. And I recently sent a note to Mintra, who is one of the heads at High Rock. She actually created the race itself. Um, asking if Fyrox would be open to us assembling an athletes panel of five men and five women to work collaboratively with High Rocks starting as soon as possible in order to um, essentially improve upon and redevelop the, the rules and qualifying standards um, so that next year we can do this better. And, and some of my initial Thoughts as it pertains to like what should we do, what changes should we make. Um, those include, I think that if you win, if you win at a venue, any venue in your region, you should get an automatic entry into the Elite 15 championship race in your region. So if I win a race in New York, I should automatically be into uh, the the North American championship elite 15. And that right there will solve some of the problem right away. So Mm -hmm. we don't have to go exclusively on time. We can say, okay, uh, LA, New York, Chicago, Dallas, those winners are into this race and now they all have a shot at earning an auto qualifier to the world championships. Um, I would also say you have to run a race in that region in order to race in that championship race. So like if I wanted to race in the European championships next year, I would have to fly to London or Spain or wherever and qualify there. So I could either win an event or run an elite 15 time there. Okay. And that the elite 15, there would be one for each of those divisions, essentially those regions. And then after that you pick, the same number of people to qualify for elite, I'd call it elite 20 or elite 30, to go into the world championships.
0: So in theory, you qualify, how many U.S. events are there? There were like four before we had the North American
2: championships.
0: So you get five auto qualifiers and then the next 10 fastest times in, something like that?
2: Yeah. And in Europe where they're gonna have like fifteen races before it, you just yeah. take the venue winners, and then if you want to add the next five fastest. And there's times a roll down, maybe. Yeah. And there's because okay. guys are gonna win multiple events, you know. Right. So then you take
0: your North American fifteen and your European fifteen. Do you feel that three is an appropriate qualifier, or would you think it should be more like five from each and then next yep. ten fastest times?
2: Much much I would take, like the track world. I take five from each. I don't each. see. I don't see what the harm is in letting the guys who, who beat everybody else on the big one. Like I don't see what the harm is in
1: letting more of those guys in. Not to throw a wrench in this. Oh, sorry, but um, they don't have plans of expansion, right? This we're just going to keep this Euro and America centric because I mean, oh, obviously, no, 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 there's
2: there's there's already races in Hong Kong. Uh, the as Middle far East, as
1: qualifying goes so all those guys can get in as time qualifiers or come to one of these major they can events. get in as time qualifiers right, right
2: now so what you'd have to do is is set up like a Asia regional or something like that eventually mm-hmm. but in the meantime I think what you can do is give them spots in the european championship.
1: Yeah. I just think they'd be foolish. I mean, why wouldn't they obviously you have to get through this year's world champs? It's too late to fix it. The, the ball's already rolling. Right. But, um, my curiosity is right. Like we like to bitch a bit about some of these decisions that have been made, but is anybody hearing it who matters? And are, you know, we talk about them not being in the know really like the athletes understand the sport much better than those who organize it. And obviously that's true based on the decisions they've made as far as rules and qualifications, but are they hearing any of this or is the only way they're going to hear this is by an athlete panel. That's like really hear why the system needs to be fixed. That's what I want.
2: Well, I think they are, but they also just spent a whole off season changing all the qualification standards, pre- finally adding auto qualifiers by top three at your, you know, regional championship. Like that just happened. Then, then they, you know, they never – the way they've talked about it, they never had any intention of making the North American championships just for North Americans and the Europeans just for Europeans. Like they they really just wanted them to be three big invitationals. They, they just
0: – They labeled to, it wrong.
2: They mm-hmm. labeled it wrong and then due to – and I don't think that that was the right decision. Like I think they should be separate. But – they also put the events way too close together. So there was no time for anyone. To, like if you were you were qualified for both, if you were qualified, you you couldn't qualify for the second one between them. There was not mm-hmm. the chance to do that. So if they took those races and spaced them out four months, then you could have a different pool of athletes in the system that they had. But they made it so that like these are who qualified and they're the only people who get to run at this and the only people with a shot at auto bits. And even though I have an auto bid, I just feel like it was that's not right.
1: Hmm.
2: So, Meg, how would you start? Would you start with working on the time aspect
0: or would you start on let's fix the venue so that time is a legitimate
3: metric? I don't know that we're ever going to get that. I don't know if we're ever going to have the venue issue be fixed just because obviously that it's money and, you Hmm. know, that's like a huge part of it. And it's just like it would be cool to be able to revisit the same venues. Like I know we were in Chicago, obviously it was on the grid, but like when I raced in Chicago in November, that was not the same venue. So like, it would be cool to get to revisit in the, especially in the bigger cities, like the same venue. And then times are more comparable, even, uh, you know, for us, like I know I ran this at last year at the same venue or whatever, you could compare a little more easily, but yeah, I think, I think either it's gotta be bigger, cool so like the top 30 or like i do like the idea of it being like you do a regional or and and it's like the top five or the top 10 at whatever Mm -hmm. open whatever um but yeah they definitely just like labeled these championships wrong and it's been such an interesting like trying to explain it to people i'm like no it's like the australian open or like the us open or whatever and Uh, People seem to like still not, but I do agree. Like there's been some times even lately that have broken in to that top 15 that could have been at, you know, the North Americans had they been spaced out a little bit more. So, yeah. um,
0: So there's one clear fix to make the times all equivalent and that's to remove the sleds because anytime you have a friction based obstacle or station, it's dependent upon the location. You can make a 1,000 meters, a 1,000 meters anywhere. You can make 100 wall balls, 100 wall balls anywhere. That's fine. Distance space is okay, but the friction is really what sets this off. And that's the easiest way is just get rid of the sleds and replace it with something else that is standardized. But the sleds have become the single most, like, they're synonymous with high rocks. If you had to that's think of one thing I was that gonna use. represents high rocks, it's the sleds or it's the 100 wall ball finishers. And even that's more CrossFit. Sleds aren't really a big part yeah. of CrossFit. So it's it's the one thing that embodies CrossFit, I mean, that embodies High Rocks. And yet it's the one thing that's causing the biggest issues. So if this sport has to evolve or has to change, how is that addressed?
2: I don't think that that's necessary. I just think that we need to stop looking at this race like all the venues, like all the courses are the same because they're not. I mean, yeah. even if you were to change that, you have courses that are two laps, courses that are three laps, courses that are four laps. And that in of itself is going to change the, the finishing times as much as a sled variance can, can affect the finishing time. I mean, just look at that course that Meg and I ran in New York, four laps per 1,000 yeah. plus an extra turn, 17 turns, 90 degree turns per 1,000. The amount of deceleration and reacceleration, not just the amount of time that you're losing on that actual turn, but the amount of energy you're expending, it's so dramatic. And as opposed to a course where you can just get out and roll for, you know, a hundred meters before the next turn, we were turning every, what, like 60 yeah. meters or something. It's crazy.
3: And there's has You're been- not even
2: That's at most- top speed before you're turning again.
3: There's a lot of courses that I think maybe weren't a thousand. Um Yes. Yes. So that's the thing, because like if you're if you're minus four minutes just in the run two weeks apart, I'm not. I mean,
2: here's looking at you, you know, Glasgow.
3: Like I don't gain that much fitness in two weeks, but maybe I'm just the weirdo over here. But yeah, I'd um, say
0: that's probably true. Yeah, we we had an argument made to us that the turns don't matter, the lap size doesn't matter, because if that were true, indoor versus outdoor track times would be way more different. Now I'll but open the floor to are, you guys. Those,
3: those, those turns are, are finish here. Okay, finish. Okay, okay. I'm the
0: captain here. No, yet. we believe that's what you believe, now Bracken. So we need. To <laughs> I'll let to you do that finish right that. But just the low hanging fruit on that is that's comparing outdoor track to indoor.
3: Exactly. Indoor track,
0: they have conversions 300 meter to 200. So turns absolutely matter. But what else are people missing about this run setup that? outside of the obvious, which is if it didn't matter, they wouldn't have conversion times between 200 and 300 meter tracks.
2: So, so one thing that I'll say is like the way high Rocks is like some of the venues, they do a better job of adding an extra gate. So instead of turning straight 90 degrees, they have like a 45 degree a gate and then another 45 degree. And you can kind of work that corner a little gentler. They also have venues where like in New York, you come around a turn and your in is on the other side of the turn. So you're hairpinning in and you're hairpinning out of that rock zone. That is significant time when you're talking about 16 times your hairpinning as opposed to Chicago a venue where- Chicago is a
3: perfect example of that. The in is on a corner. You're literally- yeah, the hair. You're turning like, to. Tr- you're decelerating so much trying to turn into the in and A, not wipe out too. And- also know. the
0: people who don't get out of inside lane. So on a straightaway, you can slalom in and on a turn, they just bump
2: you out around. Right. Yeah. And and it's like, it's, it would have been so simple to in Chicago, have the inn be at the other end where you're coming on a straightaway and you just naturally turn into it and you don't even break stride, but they seem to, at that venue, love, they love to put that hairpin turn in there. And then there's other venues where you don't encounter that. And so you know, what well, you have to assume that you're losing, what, three seconds on a hairpin turn? You know, I'm just, I'm yeah. going to throw a number out there, but I think that's logical. And then the, the energy expenditure, again, you know, you're talking about maybe a minute lost, 48, 45 seconds to a minute lost just on hairpins. And it's just a very strange thing that some venues have them and some don't. Um, some venues have weird run tracks that go in like, uh, S shapes and things like that. The The New York course, what they had planned for us was before that, before the hurricane showed up, was an indoor outdoor course that involved a series of snaking turns a on snake. each of, of three laps. While also, this is the kicker, you would have had to go up and down a ramp or a flight of stairs in order to get in and out of the venue.
0: So Kirk, what so- does this all scream to you? <laughs> What's the easiest fix for Hyrax to make everything
1: equal? Well, obviously, a placement-based or a championship-based qualifier, um, hands down. We do it in every other sport in the damn world. You've got to qualify by earning your place in throughout the season by how you finish. It doesn't matter if the Packers beat the Bears by 40 or 2. They still win in advance, and the same thing happens In high rocks, like you just you weed people out, make them prove their consistency and make them finish. Every other sport, it's acceptable. Like it's not that big of a deal, right? Like, that's how this sport should work, especially gosh. Like, I didn't even realize I knew the the courses were discrepant, but like hearing all the nuances, of course, and now that we're listing them off, like this is wrong and this is wrong, and this changes things, and (laughs) this changes things. Time is the last word that should be used to qualify anybody to anything. Well, imagine this,
2: Kirk. I want you to imagine you're a Spartan race guy. I want you to imagine that there are two sprints, and one of them is a sprint in, like, Laughlin or Arizona. that One of those sprints there, those super fast ones, or, like, that old sprint out in uh, Seattle, that Seattle sprint bracket, the Mm -hmm. one that, like, just takes, like, 25 minutes, and they're like, hey, we're going to do a time-based qualifier this year for world championships. (laughs) So uh, we're going to have whoever runs the fastest time in in, uh, your next sprints. You're getting in. And uh Bracken, you go and you go run that one in Seattle or uh where was it? Kelowna? Washugal. Mashugal. Mashugal. Okay. So you're gonna go run Mashugal. Kirk, you're gonna go, uh you're gonna run uh Palmerton. No, and I'm whoever not. has and no, whoever has the fastest time, you're getting into world championships. Okay. How's that gonna go? Because Kirk's gonna go run like a, a one hour sprint and Bracken's gonna run a 25 minute sprint. Right. It, it, it's obviously not that extreme, but to a degree, there is a level of inevitability to like there's a reason why there are only three Americans currently qualified to run the high rocks world championships on the men's side. And even on the women's side, like we have more, uh, but but it isn't as balanced as it should be.
1: Well, and of course, like you look at High rocks, you say, okay, well, every box is being checked at every brace. They're doing all the things and it's always on flat terrain and it's always in an arena with a roof over its head. And from afar, you go, well, of course, on Spartan Race, you're not going to qualify a mountain course versus a flat course. Those are so different. Duh. But like you actually have to look at High Rock's venues and set up the exact same way you could get away with this. Two years ago, three years ago, when the, the field wasn't as condensed, we saw the right people shake out and end up in the right race at the end in general, because that's where the density of the field was at. The best rows at the top, no matter what. But now there's too many of you. There's too many of you. And now well, it needs to be sussed out correctly. And last right? year
2: I missed running at world championships in Las Vegas. I missed out by like 16 seconds or something crazy. Uh, and it was because the only qualifier that I got to run in the whole second half of the year was a race in London that I had never been to a venue that had had more than 15 people per heat. And I arrived in London and they had 43 people per heat. And the result of that is like the run course they said was accurate length. The rock zone they said was the accurate length. The difference, what was unmeasured is the space within the zone, the workout zone itself was massive because now you're running through an endless row of sleds, an endless row of skiers and rowers because they have 50 of them instead of 16. And so everything you're running through, you're just running further. And that time accumulates over the course of a race. What if I just want to call bullshit
0: on all this and say, no, I don't think it's not like the European guy because well, no, no, no. I he think going to Europe. No, I think that Meg's getting hosed here on this whole conversation. We had Meg, Lauren, Alondra, <coughs> Camilla, Tara, Bridget. Who else do we have?
3: Vivian. That's
0: Vivian. Vivian. I might not have said Lauren. So we have seven, eight women who all managed to do this under the same roof that you guys did. But, but it didn't happen for the men. But the women just got it and pulled it off just fine. We have... Uh, Ryan Kent and Hunter McIntyre have both run sub 57 on courses where no one else broke an hour. Like they did. They have the sure. same disadvantage as everyone. So what, what if, what if the, what if the case right now is just that the women are significantly better in the U S than the men in, are in the U S right now, or they're significantly more focused on high rocks than the men. The men all went after Deca. Yeah. Uh, is, it's is the argument, widened, but well, Is the argument more that maybe the Europeans have a point? Everyone had the opportunity. Meg, how many races did you need to pop one to get a qualifier?
3: Uh, Technically, I qualified in my first one. Yeah. But I I had the mishap, and I wanted a real time. So then I did a second. mm -hmm. She's also
2: finished top three in both majors. So it's kind of like an outlier.
0: True. But in that case, Lauren's an outlier, and Alondra's an outlier so we have all these people that are doing it in the u.s and we have a a real lack of the men right now so well i think yeah, you guys think have you all made argue a very, you've all made a very valid point of all the reasons that it's correct
2: but why are the women so much better than the men in the u.s right now so it's an interesting question and the question is are the women in the u.s better than the men in the u.s or are the women in the u.s better than the women in europe because that is also an interesting question. Like who are the dominant forces in Europe right now? That's a different way of saying the same thing. No it isn't. Because it is the question is are is the men's field in the United States weak or is or is the women's field in Europe weak? Those are two different things. Could be, except that the U.S.
0: women have broken the world record this year and the men haven't. The U.S. women amongst themselves are going unbroken on wall balls and doing certain things that the men aren't. So is it that, I mean, you can say, are the women over there weaker than our women here? Are the men over there stronger than our men here? But I think it's the same argument. Why are the U.S. women more successful right now?
1: Are you, hold on, let me, are you playing devil's advocate right now just to be I a No, I truly believe this. <laughs> No, because well,
0: David won
1: North American champs. But if he hadn't, well, Dylan Scott took second. Then Dylan's American have. as well, <laughs> right? So well, but, I'm, I'm, i can't, I'm confused. I, I don't have skin in the game, but I don't know if your argument stands up. Bracken. and we don't disagree often. But and I'd also argue, I'm not exactly sure. If,
2: if you took me out of that race and reran it again a week from now, Ryan Kent would win that race. Yeah. So theoretically looking at the world championships, like the American men that we currently have qualified could go one, two, three. Yeah. Could. could. It's, it's what I'm saying. It's not just could, like you wouldn't be like completely shocked if it happened, you wouldn't be like, wow, that's completely crazy that that happened. Now it's not necessarily what's going to happen or what you expect to happen, but it wouldn't blow your mind. Is that with or without Hunter in the mix? Without Hunter in the mix. If Hunter was in the mix,
1: we could go one through four. What does the lady in the room think? Yeah, we just heard the well, guy say why you're not better. Tell me why you are better. <laughs> we, we should be the ones talking.
3: Well, okay. Yeah, well, if time is irrelevant, then I had a world record, but I guess it doesn't matter, you know? Um, But I think, I don't know. I think... I think the women in the U S are, are overall stronger. I really do. I think we are getting, I think some of the girls are getting hosed a little bit on courses over here. I mean, Vivian Tefudo was a roll down and she came like Chicago. Amazing, amazing performance for her. Incredible. incredible, Unexpected. Uh, I think she's an amazing athlete. I didn't expect her to be, she was next to me on sled pole and I was like, holy shit. You know, like I was, psyched for her um and I think that could have her performance there at a championship seeing some of the European women perform in Maastricht that I expected to be way up there that weren't I think that says a lot does that mm-hmm. make sense there were some women in, in Maastricht that I expected to be a big threat that were not and then some of the U.S. women in Chicago that not saying I didn't think they would be a threat, but they exceeded, I think, everyone's expectations and probably their own coming in. Does you that also make-
2: named, You also named something very interesting, which is the roll down spots. Yeah. I only got to run – People, people don't maybe didn't know this because I raced in both races, Europe and North American championships, but I only got to run in those races because I received a roll-down spot. I was not a top 15 time. I was the 16th time. Yet I was given spots in Europe and then here, and I'm the North American champion. And that should tell you all you need to know about how flawed the system is. There, If everyone had accepted their invite, I would not have even been allowed to race. Sis, what is the argument from there? it's just a broken system.
3: Yeah, no, it's a good point. So Meg, you
0: sidestepped that nicely by not talking about why the U.S. women are better. (laughs) Is it a specification thing? Are you guys specifying high rocks on your schedule and training after it? Is it because the females come from a power CrossFit training style and the men come from endurance? What is it?
3: Uh, No, I actually, you guys talked about this in one of your other um, race brain podcasts. And to be honest, I fully agree with you. I think we do more shit. We're doing more across the board, like variety. I I think you guys nailed it. Um, I never did CrossFit until this year after I did uh, New York, started going to CrossFit, but I am a power lifter. I was a division one runner and I've run for years. Like, so I think it's adding a lot of those mixed modalities in. And I, I know that obviously, Magida, you do all that kind of stuff as well. But I think we see a lot of the other men are very, very specific in their training. And they only do high-rocks stuff. And that that might be a detriment. I mean, Lauren's doing CrossFit. Michaela was a CrossFit Games athlete. Alondra does CrossFit. And they're all and running. Rolling. And they're all doing. She's in the, right, Miriam. Like, look at these. These girls are coming from, I think a lot of the men are coming from the endurance background pretty, pretty strictly. And I think a lot of the women are coming from this power strength side, other than maybe myself, I'm kind of maybe more of the outlier in the, in the top women. Obviously, Michaela has the the CrossFit endurance aspect, but they're pretty much the women are coming from strength That, that are, have been the consistent performers in these two championship races you know Miriam, Alondra, myself, Michaela, Lauren um and then some of the girls that are more runners it didn't perform as well as i they might have been seated.
2: So certainly i think that you makes see sense? a difference in performance mm-hmm. like like endurance based athletes like a lot of the european guys i think are coming from like a, a bit of a running like tim tim venish comes from a running background um but you're seeing like a, a, a interesting mix like Alex Roncevic was a swimmer. Tobias was a runner. Uh, Sandbatch was a soccer player. And so you're seeing an interesting blend of, of athletes at the top from over there. But the one thing that has been interesting is that every time they come to the States, they, they struggle more on our courses than they've struggled on their own. Um, That's just something that, that,
3: yeah, I think, and I think
2: we've seen the same the other way as well because we're just not used to the way their courses run.
3: I don't know, Lauren and I did great. Good. <laughs> you guys, did. And Mondra, yeah, you did great. we we all did good over there. I mean, Tara did well. Like, no, but I I do agree with you because I I guess my point is the women are showing we're more consistent. Mm-hmm. We've been yeah. more consistent across the board and how we are re- running in all these races, even just our even the qualifying races to get into these championships we're all you know we were all throwing down some really good times um and then proved in the championships that like those are legit you know but it seems like obviously the there was a huge shake-up from the european championships to the Chicago- north american championships for the men whereas the women is the same the same top four mm-hmm. just in a slightly different order so. rich
0: rich talked about something the other day that i think is really valid and it's that that men need to stop racing based on the sleds. That there's just mm-hmm. way too much emphasis put on the sleds. It seems like the female field right now races high rocks, and the men are putting the sleds on a pedestal. And and it's this strange thing. I don't know why it is, but. The, the European men come over here to prove that their sleds are better. And the U.S. men come over there to prove that if we don't have to rest on the sled, we can go faster. And they end up all shooting themselves in the foot because they just can't get their mind off the sled. Instead of, how do I appropriately balance every section of my race? And you saw Dave and Dylan didn't care. They didn't get into a measuring contest. They just said, I'm going to run my splits on this sled. The same way I'm going to run my splits on everything else. And it worked. Why are the women not caught up in that? And why are the men, Dave, why is this becoming a, a battle with the men? And Meg, why do the women not care about any one specific station?
2: You, the one word is probably ego or balls or some Aren't kind of balls? combination of the two. Guys, like, they get up there. I think I think everyone wants – you know, High Rocks is an is somewhat a race, and it's somewhat also – a test of your strength, your, your endurance, your strength, your grit, your toughness, right? It's like, there's, there's somewhat, it's, it's also just that it's like a, it's like this physical mental journey. And I think to an extent, some guys get out there to the sleds and they're like, this is the part that requires the most strength. I'm going to show everybody how strong I am here. And part of this might be because you get all your splits at the end of the race and everyone wants to look at like you you're ranked by every station. You're like, you know, I don't want to be the 11th fastest sled. I want to be the the fastest sled. And I, and I think there is some of that coming into play. I think Meg's balls drop when she goes a hundred straight
0: on a wall ball. Yeah. <laughs> so Meg, why, yeah. why does it not matter? Why do you, all seem to hammer correctly every station.
3: I think that we've learned that it comes down to the last couple stations for us. My top times, like when I look and see like where I stack up in the field, it's my last three, four stations. And I'm usually between one and three on all those, on all those things. Um, and, And I think that that's been where for us in our races, the difference that that seems to be where the race is changing and that's where it's kind of starting to where you can see maybe a clear winner or or like it's shifting a little bit. Does that make sense? I think the guys like, yeah, you're, I think it comes down to also just like that difference between men and women where like, maybe we're playing the long game a little bit and we're being a little smarter No offense, but no, I, that's, I'm, that's like, the argument I'm making. Like girls I'm making think the same about, argument you are. You when we're like kids, it's like girls think about consequences. You know, like we don't boys just go and do shit and they learn the consequences after they get hurt or whatever happens. And I think that that's literally just what's happening here is we we've figured out how to play this right. And I mean, and Michaela proved that, too. Like she was pretty far behind until she's got a crazy sled pull. And that always gets her like back in the game, but like she was pretty far back. And then same thing. Like, it's just you, I don't know. It's, it's like brains over brawn kind of a thing. If that makes sense. How much
0: of this is Hunter's fault for setting the, for creating the archetype for how you win a high rocks on the men's side.
2: It's, it's interesting. Right. So like I heard Rich talk about this and Hunter like wins the sled and then he wins all these things. But like, Um, it's, it's not just that he was killing the sled because he wasn't running like absurd sled times. What he was doing was doing good sleds and he actually was pacing himself well. And so like my, I think about my first time running high rocks where we like, I trash talked my way into the invitational Then we go and, and Hunter and I've been talking shit to each other for a month leading up to it. And then I'm like, I'm out there. Uh, I, I, uh, I catch him on the run going into sled push. He hits it. I hit it a second or two behind him. And then we both drop these monster sled efforts where he's pushing it. I'm pushing it past where he's pushing it. He's breaking. He's pushing it past where I'm pushing it. And we got into this, like, who's going to crack first situation. And when I came off it, I was like, oh, no, I really did overdo it. And then what happens is he gets into the sled pull. He had used the right amount of energy. And then he he didn't do a pull that was stunningly fast. He compared to like what I do now, he just pulled it comfortably and I was over my head in water. You know, the water was over my head at that point. It was just, you know, I think this happens to a lot of people is like you get caught up in the little battle, but I don't know that. I've seen that many races where Hunter has absolutely demolished both sleds. I think more so he's pulled away at the second sled.
1: Hmm. Well, I think where it's a product of ourselves. We we give this way too much credence. It's we need to talk and bitch about things. We have a podcast about it called Race Brain. And we need to fill the time and you go to the low hanging fruit and you look at glaringly obvious differences across the pond and you look at where things matter. And I think it's like Bracken and myself and rich and Jack, we're, we're as much to contribute as anything. And we feed the monster. And then pretty soon it's in everybody's psyche. Cause they all listen to this stuff. They'll talk amongst themselves. We've just create, we just created it all together in a big conglomerate and now it is, it is what it is. And I also think that, um, I think that because the top women are notably better than the chase pack, we will call it, let's say four or five, whatever you want to call it. Nobody's most aren't as desperate as early to assert themselves as the men. I feel like sometimes can get caught up in jumping to the next level or proving themselves early and that becomes the problem more than anything. Whereas well, the woman, like I, they know it's gonna sort itself out. Like Meg knows, I'm gonna be on the podium. Whether I slow play early or I go out hard, like I'm gonna end up in the same spot. Whereas like men, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, they're like, I can get on that podium. I freaking know it, but mm-hmm. I have to do it one way, and that is stay attached. And I think that's what most of I think that's mostly what's happening, to be honest. And that's they're right. wrong. Staying attached is absolutely the wrong thing to do if you're trying to break <laughs> through. You but play like Megita did and Dylan did, but it's tough not to, right? And so that that's where I think the problem lies in the men's field or that. I, that don't disagree. Arises. I, I
2: don't disagree. I think there's also the fact that there are like 10 guys who could theoretically win the race, you know. Yeah, like definitely- the men's times
3: are way tighter. So, I mean, if you're one of those guys and I probably fall into this, too, if I'm tenth and I'm only, you know, it's like 35 seconds between me and like, you know, second, like I'm going to obviously think like, OK, well, that could be me you know what I mean? On a good, on exactly. my best day.
1: Exactly. So
3: it, I, that's definitely coming into play for the men. Whereas the women, even though we are close, we're still, there is a lot more space, even in the times, you know, 30, 40 seconds, not like two, you know, like you see these top 30 times for the men, they're so tight. So definitely comes into play.
0: So I believe that we are at the point of this sport where you're starting to see some parody. Like you're talking about the times are starting to clump up. The uh, championships are becoming tactical that is a clear sign of a sport filling out. You do not have tactical races until they need to be. If someone mm-hmm. is the clear best and they can run away with it, they do that because that's easiest for them. They can get out of sight and coast. It's what we saw with OCR for years until it filled out. It's what we saw with Hyrox early on, it's what the marathon was and what the 10 K was. Now everything's sit and kick because it's too risky to try to go out because everyone's so close to you. So when you get to that point in a the sport, there's only two options. The first is to double down on what the sport is and invest in getting everyone better and bringing a new life. Like track and field does not change events. It's been the same 10,000 meters since the dawn of time. People just get faster at it and they bring in new life and then they try bringing milers up or marathoners down, anything like that. And then you have sports that keep trying to find new distances or different things to invest in. To like, like CrossFit, for example, will never repeat The entire crossfit games they'll bring back the fan favorite but Mm -hmm. it is always varied so that you can always have this something new i think we're at that point with hyrox where we have to decide is hyrox the is hyrox this right here these eight stations is this hyrox or is hyrox a constantly evolving creature are we gonna have to wait for the next generation of athletes to come in to raise it or are we going to raise it intentionally every year or two by switching things up what is your take first of all both of you
2: the main event probably does not need to change but with that said like if you're going to continue to sell one to the masses and to expand your pool of audience who's who's interested in racing in it you're going to have to have some options so like i've always proposed things like High Rocks Reverse, where you open with 100 wall balls before you do anything else, or High Rocks Roulette, where you don't know what the order of the event's going
1: to be until you arrive. Uh, yeah.
3: Oh, uh, I like, like
2: that a lot. Can like we
1: discuss all this? Are you sniping this from one of our past episodes? Cause this, I pushed this about- out
2: like a year ago with rich. Oh, so we, we snipe from you. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've talked about, like, I was talking with Mintra about some, some different concepts of what you can do. Like, can you add additional stations? Um, can you add, or like that are, that are a little bit different. Like like a like things that are simple movements. Like if you were to add a barbell, could you add deadlifts or things like that? We've talked about that, and we talked about the idea of of shortening the run distances between for certain events to make it more CrossFitter friendly. Um, I talked to. I, the idea that I have now is add a doubles race. That's a family one where you can push your kid in a stroller. We have like running strollers. And there's a place to dock them at each station. Just you roll might be limiting that.
1: your participant numbers there, but I like the idea. Yeah, but like you might actually get a wave
2: or two out of mm-hmm. it. Like it'd be kind of fun. So are you I saying
0: keep the championships the same but add more highlight special events throughout?
2: Yes, that's what I'm saying.
0: So you think this is that these eight are the best? Iteration of what we should see out of high
2: rocks. This is the sport. This is it. And if you chose to add additional championships, you could do it the way that Deca has where they have three separate events. I wouldn't necessarily have them all have the exact same stations, but uh, you could, okay. you could have three distances. You could, you could change some of the stations and then you could have high, this could be high rocks classic and you could have like high rocks heavy and you could have high rocks, you know, whatever you can change okay. a few other ones. I like that. My
3: round's heavy. I like that idea. Too. <laughs> I also might like not the see it. opening with wall balls. Like could you imagine the women who are going unbroken broken on the hundred wall balls at the end, just opening with them. Like Miriam would do like a two minute or under like a hundred wall balls. It'd be ridiculous. It's um, nuts. And
2: then she'd be running from the front.
3: Yeah. And then do like skiing at the end sled po- sleds and skiing at the end would be shit. So I like that idea. And-
2: and your legs are torched from lunging second. Like it could be really oh, yeah, fun. That's
3: right. That's right. Yeah. This could be, this could be oh. interesting. I like the idea of doing high rocks twice because mm-hmm. I feel like I'd smoke. Double high rocks. I feel like, I feel like I'd win.
1: Lauren said the same thing on our podcast oh, last dang week. dang it. Watch
3: I got that too. Hi, many.
1: You know, what's yeah, funny know. about this is the big appeal. Cause we all came from like in this realm, from like an OCR background, like who are already in the community, right? This type of community, it was like, Oh, we just crave consistency and we want to be able to compare our times and know what we're getting into. And high rocks finally provided us with this. Like we can compare times. It doesn't matter where we're racing. Like we have the same thing every time. And here we are like three years in, and we're like, we need more things now. We need different things now. <laughs> but the very appeal of high rocks was the opposite of what we're discussing. It was, the fact that it was the exact same every time and people got off on that, right? We could actually work and improve and see that on paper, which we now know is not true. But I just, I agree with you, by the way, we need more offerings, but I think it's just funny because that was the big catch early. Yeah. It's It's also funny
2: because we also just came to an agreement that like you can't compare times. Well, exactly. I agree. They're completely not comparable. It's perfect. But we thought it was in the
0: beginning. We were all specific sport athletes who didn't ever f- totally conform. And so we found hybrid or OCR because we wanted a little more or a little less standardized. Yeah. Or and then we get there and we're still pretty dichotomous. So we love that, but we want a little bit more consistency so we can compare ourselves. And then we get that and we're like, damn it, I just want some inconsistency here because that's, what I'm that's saying. been us that's what I'm saying. since we were kids. It's crazy. Yeah. So here's my proposal. Once or twice per year, I'd love to see an odd, not an oddball event, but some sort of championship invitational. Uh, and it's, yeah. it would be the choice. Whoever enters the rock zone first chooses what station you go Ooh, to. That's really so, cool. Let's say Meg wants to get out hot. And she said she comes in and, and uh, signals that we're heading to wall balls. And everyone has to go to wall balls. And whoever gets done with the next run next comes in and they have seven available to them to choose from. And so you are rewarded for getting to a run first. I would love to see a <laughs> choice based just like once
1: or twice per year. But if you're the leader, do, then you do. just get, you just pick in your perfect order. Like yeah, you win. Yeah. Meg goes to her first best station. She's going to win that if it's her best station and then she's going to be outright and she's just going to cherry pick the whole way or she's going to choose what's going to smash other people. So you might
0: come in and go sled push, sled pull, lunges, wall ball, row, ski, and then who cares just, about the
2: rest? Yeah. I personally would love that order, by the way. That would be great. When everyone's on dead legs, love that. Do you think that Sandbatch would come in and choose wall balls first? <laughs> just get it out of the way. I got to get this out of the way.
3: Damn. You're going there. Could be
2: a quick, a short day at the office. for I'm, gonna, I'm not talking shit. Like I think that's actually <laughs> like probably the smartest thing for him to do is just get them done. It'd be tricky because Anyone. a lot of people could go unbroken, but at what cost four stations later? Huge cost. That, so here's a question I had. Can I can I ask, can I pose something? Meg, um how do you feel about the women's wall balls being double scaled? Like lighter and lower. Like I know you're not super super tall, so like lower. No, but sets. I go
3: ass to grass, so it doesn't matter that I'm not the tallest. I'm going deeper than anyone else, literally right. every time.
2: So I guess what I give you points like, for that,
3: hundred, I should absolutely get points for that. I should get ten seconds cut off because my form, you never have to question my form. That's for sure. Do
2: you, so, like when you're when you're working out, do you do you throw to a ten foot target often?
3: Yes, I've been doing. And, some of your seated stuff with a heavier ball too. And that fucking sucks.
2: It sucks. It's really it's hard. Terrible. It's terrible. Make it strong though. Um, well,
3: that's what we're trying to do. But yeah, I do so, attend to target a lot actually.
2: So I guess what I'm saying is like, one of the things is we're seeing like a lot of the women, not just like one or two women, like a lot of the women do a hundred unbroken. And part of this is because they're really good at wall balls. And part of this is because it's double scaled where they're lighter and they're lower, and so they're not only are you guys doing them uh, unbroken, but you're doing them much faster because you're throwing them to a lower target. So, like your cycle rate is really, really high, and that's mm-hmm. impacting the times like really significantly. So, I was curious yeah. if you if you had any thoughts that either the ball should be two pounds heavier, sixteen pounds, or was how many kilograms is that? Seven kilograms, uh, or that the the target should be higher. Or if I'm
3: going to say that I don't think the outcome is going to be that much different.
2: No, I, I don't either. Uh, I'm just curious. I think
3: that if you upped it to a 20-pound ball, even at a 9-foot target, then that's, I think, where the game would change.
2: Yes.
0: Because when I be do a 20-pound ball,
3: I can do 50 and then I'm taking a break or, or whatever the case may be. But I'm definitely not doing 100 unbroken at a 20-pound ball even at a nine foot target. I mean, so if you, but if you upped it two pounds or if you upped the target to 10 pounds and kept it at 14, I think we're honestly like, the times are obviously going to be a little slower, but I think the outcome is going to be the same. I don't think you'll that's a hundred
2: unbroken. You'll still do a hundred unbroken.
3: I think so. But if, if you, it was a little bit more significant, 20 pounds to nine foot or tw- I mean, 20 pounds, 20 pounds. 20 pounds. <laughs> That's, so that's I, I don't it's think it should be down. the
2: exact same as the men's either. Like I don't think that that's the right Why solution. Not? But like well, because you aren't the same for the sandbags and you aren't the same for the sleds. So like I don't think they need to like make that the one item where they
0: are. I kind of the want
3: them to, I kind of want to do a men's pro weight high rocks at some point.
0: I think you should be allowed to as well. I think, I think, we think it would too. be good. I think if well, you look at you... any other ball sport, which I think this has to be compared to for wall balls. Outside of softball, where they do change everything,
3: right.
0: basketball, soccer, hockey, things like that, goal size is the same, hoop size is the same, ball height, size is yeah, different. Hoop height. That's it. It's just they yeah. only scale one. And I think that that's appropriate because if you get into scaling the height, a foot is terrible. Because if you look at the average height for the women, it's something like 5'4", and for the men, it's something like 5'10". So you have a six-inch so difference in height, but a one-foot difference in And so that that scale is bad. So I think it's the easiest just to scale. Like they do everything else Take 66% of the, of the weight or whatever. It's going to be 70% of the weight, 75. I don't care what you choose. Just make it consistent, but double scaling, I do think is incorrect, but I also think that the women, if you look at their form are, are just better than the men at wall balls. And, and and to men, to, to Meg's credit, she has impeccable form but we also talked about this before. The better your form is, the faster your wall balls are because you get to bounce out of the bottom.
3: Yeah. And the yeah, people who decelerate
0: sure. and stop above parallel are actually only hurting themselves.
3: That's They're why not- for me, I want to do the wall balls first because that is not going to blow me up because I'm not mm. dead stopping. I'm yeah. using the, you know, the bottom to
0: pop
3: me back up. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, I agree with that. That's the cross. because It's
2: interesting. Up. What's interesting now is if you look at the wall balls, Meg, if you were to throw it off the men's target,
3: dude, I do have the time on accident.
2: They can, and I have seen them no rep people, yeah, no rep (laughs) women for hitting the men's target. You're like, wait, 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 she did more work and you punished her for it.
3: Based on how this past weekend's wall balls went, I would say that is a bit extreme.
2: Oh, you mean given how they. They do not. Uh, they do no the judging Anybody was. for depth? Yeah. This has, been a, this has been an been. If ongoing. you're
3: no repping because someone's going too high, but you're not no repping for depth, that is a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It sucks when you have these men, mostly men, some women, who do the gray zone squats. Where mm-hmm. because you have a quad bump and a hamstring bump there. I
3: was just going to say that. It's the, muscular, the hamstrings.
0: Yeah. And they look at one thing and not the other and the quads look bad but it's really the hamstring or you look at the it's the gray zone reps that are killing this sport right now in terms of people going off on them and it's a shame that someone could be punished for being too good at it
2: yeah and i i don't really know who specifically on the men's side you're referring to but i but i have been at events where i'm like ooh like there's a lot of dicey reps going around here and and the thing is that I feel like High has got real intense about the burpee form to the point that, like, they're, like, yelling at people for doing stuff that isn't even wrong, uh, but that yeah. there's, like, no monitoring of the wall balls, like, at all. Yeah. How do you fix it? I mean, you just have to do a better job of training judges, but most of these judges are volunteers. Like, a lot of them are, like, 16-year-old kids or, like, Someone who's just waiting to get their free race at the end of the day, or you know, it's the same issue that Spartan had with judges, with you know, to an to an extent. It's just volunteers. Maybe you pay them, but like it's um, you know, you need to have like members of the actual high rock staff on it. But even then, like people are gonna vary in how strict they're judging. It just
1: it's tough. CrossFit's managed to figure it out, right? How many instances can you think of on men's and women's side? I don't have an answer to this. Where judging made a difference in placement? Is it is it is the outcome still going to be the same? And we always got to find shit to bitch about because it's worthwhile to bitch about, right? There needs to be a standard. It needs to be upheld. Can you think of times in which it was clearly affected the result? She's been judged. Very strictly on how many laps she's run before, <laughs>
0: and lengths of exercises. Um, I For real though, can you? Sure. Can you?
1: I guess I'm curious if it's ever. Act- I mean, maybe in the open waves well, and all yeah. those, it's filtered down. Of course, I would imagine.
3: Well, if point. times are how you're getting into stuff, and then there's poor judging happening, and times oh, are fine. how you qualify, then that's an issue because.
1: One no rep or not no rep could be the difference between getting. Absolutely, not a rep. it really could. It I think, think you're getting more not. Mental no reps. game of the
3: person. So if if you do ten no reps in a row, <clears throat> you know what I mean. Like that's impacting your you mentally like yeah. crazy. And then mm-hmm. the person next to you, like that's a whole different. You know that could add a ton of time. A but B, it could also just blow you up mentally, and then like you're not even in the conversation anymore. I will and say
0: I this there before are, Dave there are goes. More Dave, I would do problems. want to say this. We do not know who's getting no rep unless you're there in person. That is the one issue right now because people are watching. It's like not depth, not depth. That one was better, not depth. But you don't know. You can't see the count. Right. So I think someone did like 117 wall balls in Chicago, and online they're ripping that person. Well, they might have been no rep 17. You saw the form fix. There's a good chance it's because Mm. what you can't hear is the the volunteer saying. No rep. Got to get lower. And then they fix but it. But I so. have
2: been at enough races in person that that I've seen enough events where there's just not enough no reps. Correct. And, but and, it's not as bad. No, but I'd say that that's more impactful on the race than the actual over no repping on things. But I would say when they are up in your grill while you're burpee broad jumping and they're, they're like up in your grill about – where your foot steps up to to match the other foot. And then they're up in your grill about like where your hands one inch too far forward, like that affects your pacing. And you're like, like we talked about how like turning around affects like your rhythm to keep like, just keep going, keep going, keep going. That affects you way, way more when they're like all over you. And like, I just think with the burpee broad jumps is like, if it's egregious punish it, if it's not egregious, like if it's gray area, like, relax on it because that's not the one to be like trying to hammer no reps on people. We've seen the videos of people like falling forward and like gaining six feet. Like, obviously you don't want that to happen, but if someone's gaining an inch, like that's not, that's not the issue. I'm in the minority here. I think they
0: should remove uh, form standards on burpee broad jumps for the upper body. I think that fixes, I I think that you should be able to fall forward if you want to, but both feet should be should have to come up and hit the ground simultaneously. And then you can't cheat because you get as much as you want forward, but you have to sell out a bit to jump forward, get both feet up and you can't jump your feet past your hands. And if you can't stagger step, you can't cheat the rep. So I actually think six
2: foot five, you're just getting way extra distance Mm. and you're getting it on your jump anyway my, my
0: point is they Maybe. lowered
1: get richer than
0: they lowered the or they, they 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 tightened the circle of what's acceptable and by doing that made it way harder to judge and now yes. they made small discrepancies in form look like mm-hmm. huge egregious cheating penalties when yeah. in reality
2: it'd be immaterial if you just couldn't step up in the first place I was like panicking the entire yeah. time in Chicago doing burpee broad jumps because I was doing this step up right step up left and if my toe was like, a quarter inch past the other one Mo Mo was um, like one of my, he was like a second judge on me. And he was like, the feet, don't let me see it again. I will walk you back. And I'm like, dude, like I can't, I cannot make my feet be like more aligned than this. Like I don't know what to do. And it, but it's I, very stressful. I agree with
3: you because when I'm watching the live feeds and seeing some of the comments, like, I think it's made it more complicated for mm-hmm. everyone to understand what is allowed because you see these comments and they're not right. They're all wrong. Like, they're trying to call people out that are actually doing it perfectly fine. It's just like, maybe their style looks a little bit differently. And I think it's just made it, I I think people are let like understanding less now of, of how you're really supposed to do it. I kind of do like your idea of that. You don't, the step up is gone. You just have to jump it.
0: Yeah. And because it's costly, let them fall forward. It evens out.
3: Yeah. Or you do them stationary. I don't know
0: burpee jump over something yeah it um, doesn't jump matter over anymore. and
2: then turn around doesn't and matter.
0: Back. touch the ground make it over
1: yeah we, yeah, we like up. we don't want to no, be solved. stuck in place doing no, one we more don't. thing in a high rocks we want to see progress over space yeah that's, that's true, true. Yeah. yeah Kirk now you've got me on that I was watching
0: and like oh is the skier ever gonna end <laughs> like damn it Kirk I, why I did I know you I'm poison the well with that
3: don't worry we feel the same way I, at least I do. I'm like, when is this over? Every single time. <laughs> yeah,
0: would you be up for to. combining ski and row to 500-500 in the same station and then add another station to the event?
2: It would be an interesting viewer
3: experience. Yeah. There's
2: no question.
3: Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. And would you be able to pick what you did first?
2: Mm. I don't
3: see you why not. Row? Yeah, these are all like game changer little things here. I mean, I think I think most of us, especially if you moved the row to where the skier placement wise is, that's a big that's a big game changer because as we know, your fifth station after you just did basically three intense leg things right before the row gets real hard real quick. Mm
1: -hmm. I think just the tough part about the 500
3: at the beginning, that's a whole different ball game.
1: Tough part about the beginning is like. Really, as a spectator, you might as well wait till about seven minutes in the race to start watching. Like, I don't need to see; just wait to see who comes off the ski, and then we'll we'll get down to business. Kind of right, because otherwise, you're like, oh, they come in, but you don't know how they sort out on the ski, and then then the race sort of starts from a viewer's standpoint. Yeah, we understand where people are actually at,
3: and And I think people aren't really racing on the ski yet. Right, right. Like we're all just
1: trying. Nor should you be. I mean, really, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's the
0: easiest station to do first without feeling it, i think other than maybe like a farmer's carry i think those are the two stations that if you do them first you don't really feel it and thus it's not the only challenge is to hold yourself back whereas if you had to sell out on a ski and station seven or eight skiing becomes nasty yeah whereas farmer's carry always is farmer's carry i get you might have to put
1: it down but it's never a nasty event um, I kind of want to pivot just slightly mm. real quick. If that's okay, like, we've kind of been doing like a gripe fest for the first hour and a half in in a version <laughs> of it,
3: which it's is rightfully
1: fun, so, but we do this all the time on race frame. We get to bitch constantly, but you guys don't necessarily on a platform. So we want to keep bitching. We keep bitching, but because we have you two on, there's two things I actually wanted to get to with both of you from like a pro perspective and, and the two things bracken's point i suppose he's kind of right on the women being better performers is you guys meg lauren etc went over the pond and performed dave we have yes we have one subject study of dave who went over the pond and didn't perform but then they did three weeks later so something i know this is going to lose some of the audience because they don't travel overseas but you guys do and when you're on a big stage it's required so i want to hear Two sides of things. One, we saw it with Ryan Kent where he went and laid an egg and then his next race, he goes and he, and he just pops. David, we saw the same thing with you. There's something to that. I want you guys to dissect that. But the first thing I want to talk about is traveling and figuring out, you know, you saw it. The Europeans came over and they didn't perform nearly as well for the men anyways. Um, Michaela, of course, was the exception on the women's side, but like talk about traveling. What, why did you guys nail it going overseas overseas? And like, what's that process like? And David, I want to know how much it affected you as well. Like, do you believe that was part of it or not? But first, Meg, tell me about this. How I did actually, that work for you?
3: I actually didn't feel great at all in Maastricht. I really okay. didn't. Like from the first run. And I mean, granted, it was like a 500 meter sprint. So it also could have just been the fact that we <laughs> were going out like hotter than hell, you know? Um Like, I remember having that thought where I was like, oh, like, my legs do not feel that great right now. Um, But then, like, now, (laughs) I don't want to blame being exhausted from the jet lag on the lap issue because clearly I've done it before. However, the first time was in my first race, and it was that shitty four-lap New York course. So I'm going to give myself an ounce of grace.
0: You don't need an excuse to run an extra lap. I like to run.
3: I do, I do think the exhaustion, like you already have race brain, and then are like being tired and like we flew over Tuesday night. Like, I can't sleep on a flight. I was up for over 24 hours straight, trying to get sleep that Wednesday night and then like get on a normal schedule is really hard. And so I would say, like, clearly, my lap counting is not the I don't have the greatest stats on that to begin with, but I would, I think it would be silly not to think that that played a part for me.
1: So going over, sorry to interrupt, but like I am firm stance, like unless you get there, let's say seven minimum Christ. if you had two weeks, really, if you're going six plus hours, you like need the real amount of time. Did both of you go over there and feel less than your best self? And I mean, we got out of you what we got out of you, but yeah. I think if you can't act, I can't sleep on planes either. So I go somewhere I'm cross-eyed tired. and I'm like, where's i I'm at eighty percent the governor's on me, for example. Did you guys feel that and then feel the difference in the in North America when you didn't have to do that?
3: i yeah, I definitely felt better in Chicago. Like also just having a normal week, like t- no, training normally at my normal gym on the at mm. the same times that I normally train. When we got off the flight, um, my buddy and I, we went right to the gym to meet Magida and Alondra. I hadn't slept in like 16 hours, like, and then to get right into a workout is not ideal. And I also would say like, especially at this point in the season, I normally wouldn't taper that much based on the traveling. That just kind of happened inevitably because of like accessibility to gym time and just, you know, we were in Amsterdam for a day or two before we went to Maastricht. So like just things were not normal. And then in Chicago, like I was able to do a lot of my normal sessions. So I just felt like I had a lot more pop and it it definitely plays a major role. I know for me, I'm going over to the UK much earlier than I did for uh, the European championships for that reason, after having that experience.
0: Meg, I'm glad you said that about working out there's bad intel out there about you get off a flight and to feel good and to adapt, get a workout in right away. And I've traveled overseas several times now, and I've come to the conclusion, and this is what I'm telling my athletes now. So if there are people out there who don't agree with me, tell me why. I now have a no impact rule until you've slept. Get horizontal for a period of time. You can work out, sure, but do not take impact until you've slept or your lower legs just do not adapt and recover well but you always read that how do I adapt to jet lag get out and work out right away get out and work. go for a run go for a walk do some stairs I think it trashes you
3: I think people always say like try to get on the same schedule as where you 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 are so like don't go to sleep stay up stay up and then go to sleep at a normal time there and I'm like what what I've always known as an athlete is like two nights the to sleep two nights before a race is like the most important, right? That's what I've always been told my whole life. I had trash sleep. Like, Mm. because I tried following that, like, stay up, go to bed at a normal time thing. I don't know if that really matters as much as just getting as much rest as you can. I really feel like that's, that matters more than trying to like get on the time, like the same time zone as that you're in. If that makes sense.
2: Dave, you're smiling. I'm excited. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's, there's like so many things. Uh, do I think that this, the travel and sleep impacted my race? Sure, a little bit. I don't want to like use that as an excuse. I honestly think the biggest impact of my race was just not running my own race, like trying to go out hot, then skiing hotter than I wanted to because everyone around me was skiing like lunatics. And I was like, I guess that's how they race over here because the sleds are so easy, like like is what I was thinking. And then, and then running hard again and then getting to the sled and trying to move from like fourth to second on the sled, like I went for it and that was my bigger issue. Um, and instead of just being a little more conservative and being ready to hunt later, which is how I prefer to race. Um, but I do think that, you know, maybe, maybe I was 10% under my A game. Sure. But uh we, that wasn't all travel. I think that was like, again, with Meg, like I had some bad sleep when I was there. Um, I told, I I like to run, first of all, I like to run when I hit the ground, but like three miles, like super easy just to get the blood pumping a little bit. That's it. And then I go and, and rest a little bit, but I do like to stay up and try and get semi on the normal sleep schedule. The thing that happened to me was two nights out from the race. We all went out to dinner. I went back to my room I went to bed i took a little sleeping pill so i would sleep like really well and meg knows this story because i told him this story (laughs) the next day so i'm i'm fast asleep and all of a sudden i hear like uh, 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 like there's this like alarm going off and i'm so delirious because i'm like on the sleeping pill i don't know what's really happening and i'm like it's just like there's like something this sound is coming from my backpack like I need to like turn this off before like I wake all the people in this hotel. So I like in the pitch black, I'm reaching into my bag, which is like right next to the bed. I'm fumbling and I'm grabbing it. And I'm like, this must be it. And I grab this thing out of my bag and I turn it. And it was my protein shaker full of protein that goes like everywhere, like all over the bed, all over the floor, all in my suitcase, which was open next to the bed. Like there's just chocolate powder protein in everything and now I'm up going, what the hell? Like I start to realize what's happening. And I was like, what the hell is happening? So I'm up and I'm trying to like sweep up the room with like towels and I'm awake for like an hour trying to clean up this massive mess and shaking out all my clothes. And this is at like 2:30 in the morning, the two nights out. And uh I end up like not going back to sleep for like two hours. And honestly, like if there was something that messed with my sleep and my head. It was that way more than just any of the travel. That's the part travel
1: of the right travel. Now. That <laughs> happened as a result <laughs> of the travel. Aren't, you have a baby? travel.
2: Aren't you on that schedule? Yeah, yeah I, I am, am on that schedule. But but we're on a schedule now of like um, get up for like – now she's like it's get up for like 20 minutes and feed her and then go back to sleep. And hmm. it's not like be up for two hours in the middle of the night, especially on the night that you're trying to adjust to the time zones. Yeah, I get so, yeah, like I think it was you're pretty wrecked when you land on a on a red eye international flight. Like you're mm-hmm. pretty destroyed. Like you need a good night's sleep the next day. Yeah. There's no question about that.
0: I think if you get there early a week or more, get right on the new time schedule. Keep yourself up, go through your bad night or two and adjust you've got four or five more days to make up for it. But if you land within seventy two hours of race day, I think you just take what you can get. You sleep early and often and say, yep. screw it. If I have to be awake in the middle of the night and sleep during the day, this is a business trip. Yep.
3: It's
2: true.
0: I agree with I you.
3: Mean,
2: so so I guess now I have not booked my flights yet, guys. It's yeah, what are your plans for
1: Worlds? That's what I want to know. How mm-hmm. how soon are we going to get there?
2: So do you guys know the race is not on a Saturday, right? You guys know this? Friday. The the race is a Friday night. The Friday Monday night. Friday 8:15 p.m. Friday night, which is which is 3:15 p.m. East Coast time. So you're like, hey, yeah. I gotta figure out how to do this. What times the women's race, man? Seven. So they are separating the races. Finally, separating the God. races. Thank God.
3: Yeah.
0: Now what are we gonna complain about?
3: <laughs> I know, right?
2: They did. Yeah. Maybe the 8:15 start time.
3: German uh, efficiency. No, uh, that's time yeah. for a
2: nap. That'll be good. Yeah, it was some napping. So, so I guess I've been trying to figure out: like, do I fly out Monday night and land Tuesday morning? Yes. Do I land Wednesday morning?
3: I'm landing Monday morning.
2: Monday morning.
3: I'm not playing no games.
2: Yeah. If you have money on the line, invest
0: in your trip.
3: And the the flights are not. You know, it's the the price wasn't any different for me. I mean, you and I are like relatively close. Like we're both going to end yeah. up in Newark and direct flight. So it's pretty easy for us. So that's what I'm doing.
0: Are you going but, to to Manchester or are you flying to, to London?
3: Going to London. I have a few friends coming. I'm going to be very cautious on how much I do while I'm there. I'm not. I'm not a dummy. Mm-hmm. I do want to see a couple Wait. things, but like I'm not going to be walking around on my feet for 10 hours mm-hmm. a day. You know, I might go see one, two things, and then I'll be headed back to the house. And if I'm by myself, then that's fine. Because that's, it's, you know, my friends are coming to support me, but they're also coming to get a trip out of it. And I love that for them. Um, But like I'm there, I got business to do. So you got
0: laps to count.
3: I got, yeah. If I, guys, if I have five friends coming over and the laps get fucked up, it's on them, not me.
0: Yeah, you. It, for you, it's worth pain for someone's flight to be a lap Oh,
3: counter. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my lap counter in Maastricht ended up doing the live stream. That's true. That was true. my that
2: guy. Was my dad. That was my dad. I, <laughs> I put him on that. And uh. then I, I look at him at
3: burpees when I realize I, I go from second to like eighth place and I just stare at him with like these eyes and he just goes, "You did an extra one. Oh. And I was like, fuck, you know, and then. Felt like an eternity before I even started. But
2: But I mean, like if you're gonna fly over like Monday and the race is Friday, like you could spend Monday and Tuesday like going to museums and stuff. It's not gonna hurt your race. Like I yeah. I also think like you do need to have the sense of normalcy. Like Meg was talking about, like, yeah, I had like when when like for Chicago, like I literally worked out in my gym each day. Yeah. I did, I was I was on the track that I always run on the day before the race, running a couple thousands at race pace just to have my rhythm and you know, that whole run was four miles, but I did three by a thousand at race effort just to feel it the day before the race. And like, there is a sense of normalcy to your own routine that you lose when you travel. And like for me to fly one time zone over, even though my flight, I didn't get into my hotel till like almost 8 PM the night before the race like that, that feels like nothing, you know, but yeah. flying across, you know, when you're, you're going to fly, Out to London, you're going to be there Monday through Friday till the race day. You're eating things that are not the things you normally eat. And you're sleeping in a bed that's not yours all week. And you're not working out at the level of intensity you're used to. All that stuff does
1: play a role for sure.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Broad strokes here. This is not what we do on this podcast. and I'm sure Rich will yell at me when he hears this. If he listens, he doesn't like to listen to Brack and I, he's got like, nope, some fun never. with that. So I don't think he'll listen, but um... I'm on here. <laughs> well, that's true, but he really hates listening to Bracken and I <laughs> No, he really does. He's adamant against it. Anyways, I don't want to get too deep into training. Okay. But I want to do broad strokes with this. Cause if okay. I'm in your shoes, this is what I'm thinking. You guys are the experts here. How do you periodize going from January or February and still showing up and performing big when it matters at the World Champs? Because a lot of people are listening to this are like, oh, "I'm just hammering through until Worlds." And I'd be like, "I don't know. If that's the best idea, necessarily." Like, I don't. We don't need to get specific. Although I know Brack and I are going to want to ask follow up questions. We're going to try not to. How do you make it last? That's really the question. How did? Do, how does Magita make his make his? meteoric rise here last? How does Meg make her fitness last? Because it's not easy. You can't stand on the pointy end very long. And when you pop a race, hate to tell you, that's sort of the pointy end. So how do you keep it there? What do you do? This is totally a running public type question, but screw it.
2: I want to know. I think the biggest thing is that you have to go and, and look inward, look at yourself, look at your fitness, look at your race that you just ran and say, what are the areas that I really need to work on? Like, is there is there room for me to get stronger? Is there room for me to add skill work to what I'm doing? I know that I personally had, had not been doing enough strength work for the previous five months because I had a shoulder injury. Um, and so for me, it's like, oh man, like I can get way physically stronger than I was for the last few races. And then on top of that, Um, it's being able to maintain that speed. So for me, it's going to be dialing in a little more higher end speed to get a little faster to like sharpen up a bit more over these next couple months, like getting used to that intensity that I know is going to get thrown around a bit more at the early end of this race.
3: I actually was going to say something very similar. So I don't necessarily change my running volume that much. Um, but I definitely change. The intensity so like i'm doing some shorter faster stuff right now um which is really fun like going from doing repeat thousands or miles to, to like repeat 400s is really yeah fun. i'm like holy shit it's tomorrow. over already like <laughs> it's over like all right you know so that's been fun um i also get i'm on a you know another bigger strength cycle um i feel the same way i think it's really hard when you're gearing up for a championship especially like even 4 weeks out to really keep the strength numbers up it's just really hard cuz you're doing a lot of very specific work so i'm taking i'm not taking a break from doing specific stuff i still do like one to two bigger high rocks workouts a week but like i i change a lot like i do comparable exercises that are going to help me with all my movements for the race but like i get i get really tired of doing sandbag walking lunges like, I get really tired of it. Like, so now I'm doing a shit ton of Bulgarian split squats, uh, barbell split squats, like all mm-hmm. of comparable stuff, but just changing it slightly so that it, it gives your mind a little bit of a break too, and and adds some variety. So, like, I I was doing some strongman stuff the other day, like just that's for cool. just for differentiation in training, and like this is this is the time to do it. Obviously, in a month, you know, that's going to be a different conversation, but. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, so like, I I think,
3: so it's like, are you? you? Yeah. It's going decent. I mean, I don't really know what I'm doing, but.
2: I I kind of second what Meg said, like, I've definitely been throwing some variance in like this week, instead of doing just a ton of lunges, I've been doing deficit split squatting and um, heel elevated, narrow stance squatting and things like that. So. Like finding ways to to change the approach to add like the deficit split squatting is going to be for more like glute focus and opening up my hips more and the the narrow stance squatting and doing it, whether you're heel elevated or not, but adding that heel, heel elevated, it's a whole other like layer to it. It's a lot more strength around the lower quad, like above the knee, right above the knee. And so – it's going to help me like come out of the hole a little bit better on those lunges. Like I I'm thinking very specifically about like, where are these weaknesses? Where can we improve? It's doing more intensity, adding burpees with my high intensity work. It's things like that. So you're just less like, what are these little spots? What are these little things where I could squeeze 15 seconds here and there?
0: Yeah. Well, I really like that elevated heel, Dave. Because one thing that's tough is you're one of the people who's embraced a high-stack shoe for this. You're mm-hmm. in that 39-millimeter heel Saucony Endorphin Pro 3, yeah, I believe. On that, mm-hmm. when you're when you're lunging in that, you're up on a platform. You're doing deficit now. Your knee's getting below your toes. And mm-hmm. so I like the idea that you're stacking some height on your heel to get used to putting that down towards that teardrop stress on your quad. I like that a lot. That's mm-hmm. That's thinking there. I like
2: that. Yeah, I'm also been um, doing most of my lunges in endorphin speeds anyways. Mm. So I'm kind of used to a little bit of stack there as it is. But this is okay. a big stack. You're not wrong. Like, Yeah. So I think this world championship coming up
0: is unique. I think that it is the first time the vast majority of the contenders there all have a very good idea what's about to happen. First one, no one had any clue what was going on. Then they had their COVID one, and then they started doing the arena. This is the first time where I feel like even the new, I'd say Meg's new, and yet she's starting to feel like a vet. Because she, uh, what have you done? Three races? Four? Four. Three have been. Two on the grid. Two have been on the grid. Yeah. So you have as much grid experience now as anyone had coming into world championships last year. Yeah. So. People get what's coming on. People get what's about to happen. And I think for the first time ever, we're going to see an intentionally tactical world championships where people are going to come in with a plan, with knowing exactly how to prep for it. And we all have a track background. We all have a cross-country background. When it came down to championship season, workouts started changing. It wasn't just straight Ks anymore. You had change of pace Ks. You had accelerations in the middle. You were hitting some reps where you're going 10 seconds over pace to start handling the surges of championship season. You were starting to finish workouts fast. You're starting to work on sharpening your kick, running in traffic. The, the skill of racing in a championship race started to get worked on. And I don't think we've ever had to do that in high rocks before. So are you guys starting to think about how this training block has to be different from anything else you've ever done for high rocks?
2: Yeah, I think, I think a lot of the training that I'm specifically doing is in direct response to the strengths of specific individuals that I think are going to be there in the second half of that race.
3: Yeah, that, that's a good answer. And I agree for sure. Especially after Chicago, um, Because I feel like I executed a plan I went in with, but I had a little, uh, little buddy, uh, (laughs) hanging on for the ride that I was hoping wouldn't maybe be there. So now I, and there wasn't much more I could do at that point in that race. I mean, I had, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the best times on the last three stations too. So it's like, you know, what more can you do, but you're hoping to keep that gap. Your, or create a bigger one so that you don't have that kind of thing happen. So, yeah, I'm definitely – you definitely change your approach based on how you know other people are going to perform or how how they're going to approach it too.
1: Well, I it's so interesting, right? Race. So like
2: you're in this – sorry?
1: I, I want to know how you would have won that race. Tell us now, now that it's over. Was there a way? I asked Lauren the same question when we interviewed her last week, and she I said was- she would have. She said "I I wasn't going to win that race no matter what I did. So what about I you?
3: don't know that I had much more in the legs to run faster. I mean, I think ultimately that was where, I mean, I was pretty close on the lunges even. Um, but she just, she was able to just take off in that run after. And I just physically could not go much faster than that. So I think that later running, you know, and I was hammering the lunges because I was back a little bit. So I was exerting a lot more probably than she needed to at that point of the race. Um And so, I mean, it's, it's just, it was probably those last two runs was where the separation was created between Michaela and myself. Um So yeah, for me, it's just like being able to manage that late in the race, but also keep the front half the same. She caught up a lot on the row as well. And I bracket, I remember you saying like, that was a shitty row for Megan. Like it really was when I watched the live feed and like, thank God. Did I God, say like, that? Yeah, you did. That's fine. My up, like that. My, those
1: words, my upper scary. back,
3: like wow. I, I have a really strong upper back and I can see like, I am pulling so <clears throat> hard on that. Like I just, so like those little pieces, like, you know, where people are catching up to you or, or they're gaining a little bit of time on you because they maybe have a little bit left. Or a little more in the tank, but I don't know that I'd want to approach the beginning any different than I had,
1: hmm.
3: if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So. I think what's what's so interesting is like, uh, if you look at the women's field, like Meg is in this unenviable position of you have, there are three women who really could absolutely win that race. And you have one who likes to front run and one who wants to stalk from the back and you're kind of that I'm person like the man. in the middle, like it's like, this unenviable position of like,
3: what do am, I do? <laughs>
2: do I allow this one to run away from me or do I allow this person to hunt me the entire time? And mm-hmm. is there a way to, you know, and, and I think it would be seen with Lauren weeks is that like, she's one of those people that gets stronger, the bigger the lead gets, like the confidence is there. And so I think you see that on the men's side too, to a degree, but I, you know, like we're going to have Sandy's going to go out hot because he just says he's never not done that. And, you know, is Kent going to go with him? Is Hunter going to be in the race? And is he going to go with him? And then which guys are going to start like Dylan's going to stalk from the back. I'm probably going to do that too, but who knows? Uh, And then you have Venus and you have Tobias and you have Roncevic. And, and so there is like this, like where all of these different styles kind of collide and the, And the like the races within the race, the impact that that has, like who's going to get chewed up and spit out because they're in a battle rather than just running. It's it's a fascinating (laughs) because like, can you afford to really wait the whole time?
3: I know. And I go back and forth with that, uh, like on my own as well, because I came from really far behind in Europe and I know I can do that. I'm, I know I'm mentally tough enough to do that, but there is something to be said about having that momentum when you start creating that gap. And, Cause that's how I felt in Chicago when I ended up getting the record at the time, like that was what I, I knew I was on the, like halfway through it was like, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And then every station felt like a breeze because I had that like positive momentum, even though I, there, it wasn't a very deep race at that point. I was solo, but it did, that didn't matter. It was just like how you and Dylan were saying in Chicago for you is like the momentum and the confidence that it built was huge. So I've kind of done both. And I,
2: I also, I would rather times, not
3: come from behind though. I will say yeah. <laughs> that is much fucking harder. Are,
2: you see like the best times get run typically in races where people are basically unchallenged, like yeah like because yeah, you're you running see... your
3: own race.
2: Exactly. You're not affected so,
3: by anyone else.
2: Hunter's best time, Kent's best time, Dylan's best time, really uh I can't say that I was like unchallenged in in North American Championships, but I I didn't allow myself to get like pulled into like a dog fight until the end, you know? And I think that there's something to be said about that. Roncevic this past weekend like his best time he's ever run it all oh, it tends to happen when people are just like able to be like I'm just doing a workout I'm just working out and then all of a sudden you're like damn I just man ran this massive PR
0: we saw this in OCR as well that sitting and kicking isn't as guaranteed of a strategy as it is in track or cross country because you can do everything right and something else can stop you from being able to do it Again, yeah. if you run a 5K and you run with less effort than everyone else until the last 400, you're going to win if you have more energy. Or an OCR, yeah. you can sit and sit and be so chilled and then hit a technical section and not get through it well, and now there's a gap. Or you slip off an obstacle and you can't use this energy. And Hyrax is the same. Like If you sat on Michaela from the start, there's a chance suddenly she's 20 seconds faster on the pole still. And even Where though your next Ooh. station should be better than her, suddenly – like your plan's yep. gone, or you like well, you can do everything happened, right, and it doesn't work necessarily.
3: In Europe, Lauren got so far ahead, and of course, like at this point, I'm like not even in the conversation. So Lauren had gotten so far ahead that Michaela couldn't catch her. You know what yeah. I mean? So her game, her that was a case where the Michaela strategy did not work, and it was significant. Like it wasn't twenty seconds; it was over a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I, yeah. Minute and 15, then, and I so then it worked for me in that case because I came back and I was only 25 seconds behind Michaela when I finished. Mm-hmm. So like for, I mean, it, it worked ish. I didn't beat her, but you get what you get my point. Like yeah. I caught up.
0: It was effective
3: significantly. So it like, but it doesn't, it doesn't always work, you know? So the, it, it's your playing. I don't know. I wouldn't want to sit behind Michaela, but I would sit behind Lauren.
0: <laughs> well, it'd be it's fine to sit behind out. Michaela after Sled Pull.
3: Right. Right. Because you if almost you, have if to outskier out out Yeah. It's and
2: then cool just wait ahead. for her. Yeah, <laughs> Well, <laughs> I don't know about wait. Yeah. But run, run your, because I felt like when I watched the rerun, Meg, it looked like there were a number of times that you, I wouldn't say you overran, but I would say that you ran in response to Lauren, and that a couple times you would like on the run, you'd pull her back enough to like feel like I'm still attached. And
3: I did. So I think the live stream might have showed a little bit different than what I was really doing mm-hmm. because I actually it did for was me. It didn't very, show me at all. I <laughs> I actually was very intentionally not trying to catch her on the run. I I shouldn't say it that way. There were a few times on the runs where she was only maybe five or six seconds ahead. And I just left it because I knew overexerting that 10 seconds might hurt me in the next station. And so I chilled. Like, I don't think I overexerted in the runs. I think I just was naturally catching up without overexerting to do so. But if I was close enough where I was in contact, I just hung out. Um, because I knew like, what is the, you know, risk versus reward ratio here for like five seconds of gain? Like I'm going to trash my, I could trash myself for the next thing. So, um, but then there was a point where we're getting later in the race and now you gotta kind of have to, you just got to do what you have to do. Um, but I was, yeah, I was catching up on the runs, but I wouldn't say I was killing myself to do so, or at least it didn't feel like it.
2: Hmm. Dave, did you say
0: they didn't show you at all?
2: I'm, I'm being facetious, but, um, uh, okay. my, like, like, for example, on the running, like that's where I won the race and mm-hmm. they literally did not show me like on a single run. Uh, they need to see me like go by really fast, but like no yeah. one, no one ran with me like at any point in time. Like I never had like a camera person running with me, uh, um, which was unfortunate. But, yeah.
0: I'll say I, this yeah, while cause... I have you two here. Um, and I, there's like six more people I have to reach out to, uh, I'm sorry for you guys not being identified on screen. The day after, the, and I said this once on here, but while you're here, the day after the coverage, I was on the Incline Trainer watching the coverage back, and as I'm hearing myself say, do we have eyes on Dave Magida? No, we haven't seen him at all yet. You're on screen running past me. Well, yeah, I, I think we just pull. I think could pull. not see <laughs> And Man, it was, like it was egregious watching it on my TV, but what you guys are seeing right now, this quadrant, that's the size of the entire feed along with nine other, And Dave, I, there were so many times you were on screen and I was, I'm thinking, how do I not talk about him? I didn't see you guys and I felt terrible. There, you guys deserved more talk. You didn't get it. And I'm not looking there for were a it. it's lot okay. of times that
2: like you guys, I just want you to know me or Kent. Kent and I were wearing the same shirt our 10,000 gear. Um, And so like, I, I understand, Um, but you know, it just was unfortunate. It is. And on a TV, it's clear, but it also impacted the moment. We couldn't see it. The the camera people who are running, they also like Dave and Bethany, their headphones died. So Mm -hmm. they didn't know who was leading, who was in second, who was in third. So they were still running out filming Kent and filming other people who had fallen behind. And so, like, that was also, like, part of the reason, like, you weren't also getting the right video footage. And then when the women's race started, the camera people split off anyways.
3: Mm -hmm. I remember watching it back and, like, I would be, like, right next to the camera person. And Lauren would be like just ahead and it would like seem like there was this huge gap, but they're really like, I was literally just next to the person with the camera and like they were just filming her mm-hmm. from behind and I'm just literally like side by side them. Yeah. Um, so that was like, I, that was like interesting. Cause I'm like, I'm right there. Like, yeah, I'm, not even that far. I'm just right there. You know,
0: Vivian so should be there. furious. Well, Vivian never got talked about Linda. I called her Linda Blair, the entire coverage. I would well, rail against anyone dying. who did that. It's terrible. I do not know what happens. It just flipped a switch. I couldn't do it. Vivian was clearly on screen as I'm on the treadmill watching, and we it's couldn't see to her. Tell it's hard from
3: behind, though. There were so many times when in the feed, like, you guys are taught you thought Vivian was Linda or whatever, but, like, it's, even behind, look it's behind her angle. Yes.
1: Can't,
3: you can't even see yes. her face, so I-
0: Anyway, it, it, it. I'm not looking for. It's okay. I'm not looking for excuses. I just want people to hear that it is not intentional, and you deserve better.
2: Truly. Well, I mean that. so at, as as somebody who has broadcasted many a race, Bracken, and many with the grid of of screens, I I can attest to the fact that you're spot on. It is very hard, particularly like when I usually do it. I usually do it with a big second monitor, yep. and I drag. TV, and I drag H, it on the my screen. cord. Yeah. And you, and so all of a sudden it is like very manageable because then I don't have a screen that at least makes each box six by six or whatever. Yep. And then, you know, your head, your face is close to it and it works, but you were, I knew you were on a laptop in a room. like th- it, it was embarrassing like, to watch. So
1: while you're here, I'm sorry. I'm gonna chime in real quick. I do love hearing you apologize, Bracken, but I'm gonna be late for work, so I gotta roll out. I've just been waiting to sneak in here so I can get out of here.
0: Guys, it's been great
1: chatting with you. I need to roll. You can wrap it up. I trust that. Good to see you guys. (laughs) Amen. Bye. So
0: Linda, Vivian, I would say Bridget. It's
3: got real close. Oh, yeah.
0: Let's uh let's do something about this.
3: Okay, That's better.
0: See my it, whole it was gym now. it wasn't ideal and even my watching it back i thought oh come on bracken they're literally in front of you as you're saying i haven't seen this person all day so hopefully for worlds we have this i mean we're not going to be at worlds announcing so we'll have a better view but there are some things we can iron out and get people the 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 time on screen they deserve and if they're on screen, the words that should accompany them.
2: The I think that's the other thing. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully they agree to do another live stream for Worlds because I think it's really important that there's something that isn't just on a tape delay coming out a week later and like a really weird brief wrap-up or or a TV show that's going to be shown on who knows what network. Like I, I think showing the race itself is the most valuable part of – growing this sport within people who I care agree. About it. Yeah. All the documentaries and ESPN specials with interviews. That's fine, but nobody really cares about that stuff.
3: Especially when you watched. already know who won. It's like, it's not the same experience when you already know who, like how the finish ended up.
2: Mike, did you ever watch the world championship documentary from last year? The one that was on like ESPN.
3: Going to be real honest. No,
2: I didn't I either. <laughs> What's He's that say?
3: Right? <laughs> I R&D, watch everything
2: was... <laughs> because the only thing that matters is the race in the moment. That's it. Yeah,
0: yeah. And that's one that that's that last year's coverage. It's unusable footage to even watch while you're training, like on the spin bike or on the treadmill. That's not even. I don't even pull that one up. I'll pull up Dallas or something because it's stop motion graphics. It's you don't even get a sense of a race.
2: So, like the best coverage they ever had. Outside of live, was the Elite 12 when they did that whole show? Like, that was yes. good, it felt like a race, even though it was on treadmills. Like, I legitimately that was the thing that made me be like, I really want to run this race, I could be good at this race. And then, well, that and Hunter called me and was like, He invited me to the High rocks Invitational, and got, I trained for it for a month, and then he withdrew the invitation. But, uh That's what really got me in, but watching the elite 12, that was what got me hyped for my first high rock. So, Mm -hmm. so if a sport, if they actually listened to the people who compete in this and the people who are excited about it, then they would just invest like 10 grand in a dope live stream and ditch the rest of the crap.
0: Yeah. All right. We got to wrap up here. We got to close this thing out. So I want you guys to take yourself out of world championships. Because we know, Dave, you've never bet on anyone other than yourself. And Meg, I've got to assume you're not far behind in the self-confidence column. (laughs) So you, obviously, we assume you're both assuming you win it. Let's take you out. What is your projected podium for Worlds? Meg, I want you to, actually, let's just start, Meg, project the women's side. And Dave, you do the men's, and then we'll start. With me
3: out, Lauren Weeks wins. 100%. Clear win. Michaela and then Alondra.
0: You are Michaela's link to the front. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yes, I think I am. And then I, I think like Alondra that. has been such an amazing performer in both of these championships. Um, I say she takes third.
0: I agree with that. She still seems like she has a ceiling on her, That's, she's not hitting yet.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I think like, Every time I run with her, like I've competed. So I've actually competed with her three out of my four races because she was in New York
1: mm-hmm. with me on
3: my first one. She just gets better and better every time, you yeah. know. She and just manages to
0: hang around, huh? She's just, yeah. she's just there. She's also ballsy.
3: She is ballsy. And she's not. She's she's tough.
0: She's not afraid of the moment. She's, she's not, not afraid to insert herself into the race. Right. She's not afraid of blowing she's... up.
3: No. no. And she's just. She is strong. So, yeah, I think she, I think she's, I think she'd be third. I think Michaela still has some on her in the running. Yeah, for sure. So, but I'm going to put Lauren wins by a lot.
0: All right. And now predict the men. You, Meg. (sighs)
3: Dave's not there.
0: Dave's not there. I'm not there. there. Don't worry about hurting my feelings. I'm not there.
3: Hunter's in or out?
0: Hunter's in. We'll see.
3: Going going my boy Kent. Wins. I'm going Sandy third. Sorry, Sandy. I'm going it's a home Sandy.
2: It's a home race for Sandy. Which isn't I mean,
0: always an I'm, advantage. I know. No Travel, I, yes.
3: Travel, travel yes. Wakes
2: up, at his, wakes up in
0: his own no. bed.
3: Pressure, no. He might have a lot of people there. You know, I don't know. I'm going Ken. He will have a lot of I'm going. Kent, Hunter, Sandy, sure.
0: Indoor oh, Nationals.
2: Yes, it, Alex, Alex. Uh, yeah, yeah, dude, the men's field is crazy.
3: This is really hard.
0: Indoor track nationals every year, someone qualifies near the back of the field, but they're hosting that year and they lead a distance race because they've got everyone on their team and yeah. all their hometown there, and that that's a potential drawback for Sandy.
3: Yeah, He's
0: too hyped up. Okay,
3: wait. I'm changing it. I'm going to put Alex third. I'm going to put Sandy fourth. Sorry, I bumped you down, bud. That's
0: all right. Dave, same same deal to you.
2: Man, this is tough. I honestly think you could roll it. Like, you could just, like, pick a card, any card, and, like, it could be any of, like, seven guys. So the fact that I'm picking one of these people or three of these people should not be, like, a locker room uh, bulletin board material for anybody else because honestly, I, it like, will I be. really, I know it will be. Um, I think that uh, Rancic has never missed. I mean, I guess Chicago was the first time he missed a major podium, and he was fourth. So he was
0: on a champagne tour. I don't think it counted.
2: Maybe I don't think he felt that way. He spent a week in the states leading up to it, uh, and I think he wasn't jet lagged or anything like that i think he was ready to race he, he he definitely took it seriously enough to go a week ahead of time um so man i think it all depends like like kent could be first or fifth because oh my goodness so i want a top three i know all right without me there <laughs> then <laughs> all right well thanks I'm for tuning say- in guys I'm going to say Kent. I'm going to say Kent one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Dylan Scott two. And
3: I forgot about Dylan.
2: And you're saying Hunter is not on the podium or he doesn't qualify? I say he's not on the podium, even if he qualifies. Wow. And I don't say that, like, if he had spent the whole year racing, I think he wins. But I think, um, I don't know, like I haven't seen him race yet. Like, I'm gonna see him we're gonna see him race soon, but like I think until he's I see it, like if, if he's the version of Hunter that finished second in Chicago last year, he's not gonna get on the podium this year. He has to be the version of Hunter that was at World Championships. He has three months. He does.
0: And we he know does. that he can go psycho mode in training yes. and that he's probably yes, we can. the most genetically engineered human on the or male. For this sport that we've seen. Is yes, three months I, enough? I, How much I don't is he disagree
2: with you. I don't disagree with you on any of that. But I also believe that the men's field, every single guy that that was in the world championship last year is minutes faster this year. And so I his agree. margin for error is just very, very small. He used to be able to win through burpee broad jumps
0: and coast if he wanted to. That's not an option anymore.
2: He's gonna be in a dogfight there's just no, there's just no way around it. Like, even and if he goes out hot, is, like know. he did, sorry, sorry, maybe yeah. if he goes out hot, like he, like he wants to, like on a world record pace, there's going to be somebody matching him. And right there, Sandy is going to go out just like that. So he's going to be fighting somebody through every stage of the race. Yeah.
3: And when you're not used to that, that can make a big, big difference.
0: He's interesting because he's not been challenged in a race that he won. Mm-hmm. He's,
3: he's not been had challenged a and
0: lost. Yeah, but he's also the only guy currently in the sport that I think can finish unbroken. Yeah. If if he's Hunter of old, so yeah. But if I he think gets it's to
2: the wall balls and he's been in a war for seven rounds, is he gonna have? That's the question. That, you know.
0: It sounds crazy to bet against him, but mm-hmm. the sport progressed as much this
2: year as any other year. That's my argument is that like the year that he took it the least serious is the year that everyone got that much better. It's yeah. it's, it's not like it, if it was Hunter against last year's field, he still wins. I agree. What about women? Take us out here. Oh, um, I'm going to go with third place Lauren Weeks. Second place, Michaela and Meg as, oh wait, Meg's not in it.
3: I'm not in it. Hey, no, I appreciate that. Uh, But I was,
2: I I think Meg's going to win it this year. Um, I am going to go with, because now Meg's not in the race to shake things up. I'm good. No shake and bake for me. You're going to say Michaela won uh, weeks to Alondra three. Well,
0: in November, you
3: know to this.
2: in
0: November, I said Meg was going to win the world championship and that it wouldn't be close. But I also said Dave was going to potentially win Euros, and then I thought you'd crack at North American. So
2: my predictions this year have
0: been very, very poor, so take that with a grain of salt. To
2: right. be fair, to be fair, if you just flip-flop those races, you were right. So, right. you know. And that's the thing. Like, I think when people look at a crack, they think, oh, like this person's not fit enough, but that's just not, people that know racing understand that it's really just about race flow. It's just, that's really all it is. Yeah. And you can't put 15 studs in a field and everyone PRs.
0: It just doesn't happen. I
2: mean, people get generally when you put that five to seven people are cracking.
0: Yeah. You're going to have two people PR, three people do well, and everyone else runs their slowest time of the year. That's just the way Mm -hmm. championships work. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Meg, thank you for coming on. Last thanks for minute, having me. Who are you filling in for today? Rich, Rich, and Dave. Thanks for trying to fill the vacuum left by Jack.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was saying the permanent replacement for Jack Bauer and his inability to qualitatively analyze data, or at least have <laughs> stable internet. Or stable internet. Uh, I love you, Jack. Man, I'm just
0: playing. All right, next week, tune back All in. Right. We'll be back with more. See you,
1: everyone. See you, Brainiacs. We're going to be out in like